Hello, welcome to episode 105 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill, and him, Renfrey Deadman. Hello, Renfrey. Hello, me. How are you, How are you Steve? doing? Yeah, good. I'm good. Yeah, going to be a quick one today. Got to go shopping, didn't I? So yes. Bust through this motherfucker. <laughs> so we're not allowed um, to, to no, no pleasantries. No banter. No banter. <laughs> no pleasantries. Just all business. Right, On this week's okay. show, not even joking, I'm going straight into it. On this week's show... <laughs> Oh dear. Um, oh, on this week's show, we're going to be reviewing new albums from Alanis Morissette. Yes, please. The Fall of Troy, J Jail, Orbit Culture, and Concrete, plus on Broken Records. We go back to new metal again with probably the genre's biggest whipping boys, Limp Biscuit, and their results may vary. They're in the motherfucking house, y'all. Mm. Um, so that should be a laugh. Prophetic title um, as well. Yes. I'm sure um, everyone made that joke around the time, surely. Yeah. Uh, if, if it was called Results Are Really, Really Bad, it would probably be a more interesting <laughs> title. But whatever. Um, go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast. You can help us out financially if you so wish. A one pound a month will get you access to our Rioters reviews. Look at Renfrey necking that orange squash. So I've never seen you attack an orange squash like that before. <laughs> Thirsty boy, aren't you? God, and you said there'd be no banter, but we've got I the know, orange right, squash banter. I couldn't believe it. Um, um, yeah, I'm, got a, I'm lot... a very thirsty boy. Oh, yeah, we've got a lot of... <laughs> 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 we got... That we got... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, disgusting. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, we got a lot of Riot Ears reviews up now. What we also have, if you want to do us the solid of £5 a month, you can uh, sign up for our Classic Album Series podcast. Coming this Monday, a double Classic Album podcast on the mighty Cave-In, Renfrey. We enjoyed that. recorded last night. Mm. Cave-In, as we say on the special, are probably, well, not even probably, they are the smallest band commercially yeah. that we have covered on Classic Albums so far. But if you're not familiar with Cave-In, hopefully... This will be something which should get you very, very excited about getting into the cave-in oeuvre. I'm laughing at? I'm laughing at the fact that you um, paused to do a big burp, and, but did it fanta- fantastically well, you know, to the point where some people might not even notice. But it, so- it made it sound like it was a dramatic pause. So you thought you'd bring that up and take away... It was going on about we should be really professional and do it and then... <laughs> I act professionally and you shit on it. Oh, so, I'm sorry. It just amused me. I mean, you asked me what I was <laughs> laughing at. I didn't bring it up. You should have laughed is what I mean. God, this has come, become very totalitarian all of a sudden. You were, you, were, you were all nice and shiny when recording the cave-in special last night. What's happened? Hey. Well, we're not talking about caving, is the moment, oh, yeah, right? that's the issue. Yeah, I see. Really good. We did uh, we did Jupiter and we did Antenna, and it was a it was a lovely time, and it was a brilliant thing to be able to go back and listen to all of those fucking excellent, excellent records. Mm. And like I say, if you're not aware of Cave In, if you've sort of seen the name about but you don't know much about them, get ready. We've got your back. We're gonna tell you everything you need to know about that band and why they deserve to be in the exalted company of acts like Guns N' Roses and U2 and Blur and Radiohead and the Manic Street Preachers and all those other massive, massive bands that we've covered so far on classic albums, um, they're just as good. So there. Um, I wasn't going to do much in the way of news, Renfrey, but I can't resist. I kind of want to ignore this 
because Download Festival, they've done the 2021 lineup. Don't really care particularly, but I couldn't resist it because the shit show of people, the bitching and the moaning of people has just wound me right up. Well, you do so, like getting wound up. Yeah, I got wound up by, by this. I mean, basically, replacing um, Iron Maiden with Biffy Clyro, essentially, is it's, it's, it's basically Never the 2020 it. lineup. And Iron Maiden, who said they couldn't play. They said they wouldn't be doing festivals. They did, didn't right? they? Yes. They did. So they had made that explicitly clear hmm. that they wouldn't be doing festivals. So no one, no one should have expected Iron Maiden to be playing download in 2021 because they explicitly said they won't be doing that they've been replaced by biffy clyro it's not really a like for like replacement no. obviously if you're an iron maiden fan and you were going for iron maiden and you get biffy clyro i can actually see why you might be a little bit grumped off mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. i do um, know a couple of people who were going for maiden so yeah yeah mm -hmm. i can understand that are, are they are they grumped off can you can you confirm well they're they're not um i mean they're not pissing and moaning on the internet uh like a bunch of fucking babies they're just they're, right. they're just going uh, i mean for example i don't think you'll mind me saying this um 2000 trees and art tangent uh head honcho or one of the head honchos band booker james scarlett was gonna go uh and he was gonna take his dad to see Maiden, and that was kind of the main reason why they picked up a ticket, yada yada yada. And so, mm -hmm. in the, in that instance, I can see why you know. And he was just like, "Oh, it's just a shame. It is what it is. We'll still probably go, but you know, my dad's not going to be as interested in Biffy Clyro as he is Iron Maiden." We're talking about like a seventy-something-year-old man. So, yeah, in in a, in a circumstance like that, I get that. But rather than pissing and moaning on the internet, James has just been like, "Oh, that's a shame. Oh well, I get it." which is how people well, he's should obviously be. Obviously not a real metal fan. <laughs> obviously not. Obviously not. <laughs> obviously because obviously to be a real metal fan you have to be a pain in the fucking ass as we've discovered. Oh my god, point I'm out, really angry. You have to point out how much you like metal more than and everyone you don't else. like yeah. shitty indie pop. It's a weird thing to be seeing people refer to Biffy Clyro as a pop band. Um as if there are two types of music, metal and pop. And, pop. <laughs> like, and everything else is pop. Like, you know, Jaco Pistorius is pop and Bark is pop and <laughs> Stevie Wonder is pop and, you know, um, Scott Walker is pop. Yeah. Because uh, it's not metal. No. So it can't be anything else. Can't be anything There's else. There's only two types of music, isn't there? Exactly. Mm. Pop shit and proper music, metal. Those are the two types of music. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the reaction online is pretty fucking hilarious. I mean, for what it's worth, Biffy Clyro, uh, for me, uh, adds a much needed sheen of, you know, relevancy to the, the, the headliners, which are Kiss and System of a Down. Um, uh, Biffy have a new album out next week, which we'll be reviewing. Um, yeah, imagine that Kiss and System of a Down actually make... New music. records in <laughs> this millennium can you believe it uh so, you did you, you did know. make this point to me and like over the phone and um you know it's crazy to think that iron maiden beforehand were the only band of those three who do still regularly release new material but when yeah. we say regularly release new material i mean even then i, I don't i don't think 
I'm quite a staunch defender of um, Latter-day Maiden, but even I wouldn't go, oh, yeah, The Book of Souls is definitely one of the best albums Maiden have ever released, you know, because I'm not but insane. But at least made, I mean, at least Maiden feel like they are continuing, you know, like I, I'm not a mass, I'm not going to go massively sticking my flag in the ground to support Iron Maiden, but at least Iron Maiden always feel like they are continually trying to be a relevant band. They're trying exactly. to stay relevant. Exactly. System of a Down and Kiss are not doing that. It's half of the original Kiss lineup. It's really none of the original System of a Down lineup that can be bothered at all. I, mean, I think maybe Sh- Shavo looks like he smiles when they're playing, so that's about as good as you're going to get. But System of a Down are a fucking disgrace. I've said it enough times. I get angry and angrier about System of a Down every time they come mm, up. But... Mm-hmm. Um, System of a Down, um, Biffy and Kiss. Uh, it's not a bad, like, it's sort of something for everyone. You've got a metal band, you've got a proper old school classic rock band, and you've got something contemporary. You've also got Korn subheadlining on it every year, like like, <laughs> like some sort of Pavlovian response to download happening. Korn have to <laughs> subheadline the main stage, just turn up. Like, I wondered one year if they didn't get booked and they just turned up and started walking on stage just as the subheadlines are going on. They're like, where are you going? Who are you? Well, we're Korn. <laughs> we 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 subheadline at mainstay download every year without fail. Um, Deftones uh, subheadlining to general apathy to um, a bunch of thick Shinedown fans. Who's general Again, apathy? General <laughs> general apathy and major boredom. The two types of. <laughs> There it two, is. The two militaristic download festival goers. Um, yeah, poor Deftones who are better than all of the bands on the bill. Um, we'll play to you know a bunch of people who go oh, don't like Deftones. Uh, a day to remember, awful. Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, good. Gajira, great. Volbeat, no. Um, I mean, I look at that sort of. I just look at it and I just don't really care. Um, Elstorm, Elstorm sort of remind me of Leonard Skinner in the I hope they die in a plane crash. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> is that the joke that had to be cut out of Hammer? <laughs> We're not going to cut it. Fuck that. Fuck that bullshit. We're um, not going to cut it. <laughs> and then, but actually, the Saturday's good. You've got Killswitch Engage, Mastodon, Bush and the Wild Hearts on the second stage. You've got a really good run. A funeral for, funeral yeah. for a friend on the third stage is good. Creeper, Employed to Serve, Loathe and Puppy on the third stage. And if you're moaning about Biffy Clyro, I mean, fuck me. The fourth stage, you say you like metal. Sepultura, Obituary, Dying Fetus, Bleed From Within, Will Haven, Higher Power and Lotus Eater. Mm. And Dead Label. I mean, mm. I don't know joyous wolfar but i mean that as a stage if you like metal that much you're going on about how much you like fucking metal go and watch a bitchery and dying fetus you pussy <laughs> like... well quite <laughs> i mean so eloquently put yeah um that's that saturday is actually you know a pretty killer day i mean if anything <laughs> just this just makes me sound like i'm never satisfied because i'm not uh <laughs> but if anything it's too stacked because like yeah. if i were going that day and i won't be um you know you've got gojira deftones biffy Clyro on the main stage but like somehow i need to get mastered on in from on the second stage and i don't know how that would happen and yeah as you said bush i mean bush mm. with that new album it's funny with that new album bush suddenly become a oh no i definitely yeah. would see them at a festival whereas before yeah. they'd be like a curio at best but there you go um yeah the wild hearts would be brilliant creeper on that avalanche stayed employed to serve puppy loathe 
It's shame rich. to see those bands on the third stage. I mean, for mm. as much as I like Bush and the Wild Arts, and uh, well, I was about to say Daughtry, I don't like Daughtry, just get rid of them. <laughs> Stuff like Stone Broken and mm. Lacuna, Miles, like Miles Kennedy doing two sets, and like, you know, seeing Creeper and I get employed to serve and Puppy. Puppy have done that fourth stage, and then the second stage, they've done the third stage before. <clears throat> employed to serve have done the fourth stage, and they've done the third stage. Like, bump them up. Yeah. Why is Stone Broken on the... Like, who are they? Why? No one gives a fuck. Stone like, Broken... I, I feel like I'm misremembering this, but Stone Broken aren't the band... Remember when the Darkness initially split up? And I think... Yeah, that's Stone Gods. Thank you. Mm. Carry on. Mm. Yeah, but actually, you're right. I should, we shouldn't moan too much. Saturday looks quite good. I'd like to see Frank Carter. Gajira would be great. I mean, uh, I'm sure Corn will be really good. That Sunday is a bit of a... Uh, a fox jaw playing early on. It's like you could watch fox jaw. Well, you got Baroness, Jamie Lenman, Baroness. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Jamie, yeah. Jamie, um, Jamie Baroness, and fox jaw. And then, I mean, L Storm Powell, Still Panther in the Darkness on the same day. You're really getting the like inflatable guitar tossers coming out that day. Mm. You? Like, mm. yeah, um, yeah, rubbish. Anyway, uh, that's download, everyone. <laughs> We look forward for our invite. Uh, <laughs> there you go. If you listen to the Metal Hammer podcast, um, that's what I really think. Uh, it's just really hard to get excited by that. I mean, here's the thing, right, Renfrey, and I, I, this is something that we've spoken about a little bit between you and I, but um, not on the show. I I just find it quite hard to get excited by rock-based festival lineups when I have been going to festivals for such a long time. Mm. Now, that might be a little bit like, oh, poor me, I go to too many festivals, if anything. And I, I understand that, but I still get excited by Bloodstock's lineup because I go, oh, you know, there's going to be um, like suffocation on the main stage, mm-hmm. seeing them in a in a field. That, that, that would feel exciting to me. Or, you know, whoever it may be playing Bloodstock in and around that... Um, that area uh and i just don't really find that with those kind of top two stages at download i've seen everyone there before i know deftones always get people just sort of sneering at them mastodon i love they're always terrible outdoors like it's just Mm. you know i i really i really wish there was some way that we could incorporate the type of bands like like the way that they've reacted to biffy clyro makes me think why are you going to risk getting bands that are slightly left field when the reaction is so poisonous to a band like Biffy Clyro? I actually was looking at the lineup for Metallica's Orion Fest that they did uh, in 2012 and 2013 um, a little while back. Okay. And I looked at it and I just thought, this is a an absolutely brilliant, brilliant lineup. Mm. I mean... It's so eclectic mm. and odd. 2013, Metallica, Chili Peppers, Rise Against Deftones, Bass Nectar, Dropkick Murphys, Go Go Bodello, Flag, which is the Black Flag thing, Silver Sun Pickups, Foles, Tomahawk, Joy Formidable, um, or Formidable, I should say, um, Japan Droids, Fu Manchu, All Shall Perish, The Bronx, The Death DTA, Dillinger Escape Plan. That's 2012. And then... The 2000, sorry, that's 2013. The 2012 one, Metallica, Arctic Monkeys, Avenged, Modest Mouse, Gaslight Anthem, Cage Elephant, Fucked Up, Gary Clark Jr., Hot Snakes, Liturgy, The Sword, Suicidal Tendencies, Sepultura, Torch, Red Fang, Black Tusk. I mean, mm. 
what a brilliantly eclectic lineup. What is you know, I mean, they'd go mental over here if people book something like that. And to be fair, well, they meant went they went they Metallica. went mental there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember the massive. Ma- I kind of forgot it until you um, mentioned that second lineup. But um, the big thing was like, oh, Metallica have booked Arctic Monkeys. You know, as if that was like an absolutely dreadful thing to do. And um, Arctic Monkeys aren't my favorite band ever, but they're not dreadful either you know they've done some interest they, they've done some interesting stuff and they've progressed throughout their career and they haven't stayed still and you know it's all stuff that i can admire about them but you know i don't know people just think of you look good on the dance floor or something like that and go that's what they do <clears throat> um but it's people people who moan about these kind of lineups of people who don't really know much about music aren't they because it tends, to be, it tends to be a lot of stuff. Biffy, oh, I've got nine friends and none of them have listened to Biffy Clyro in six years. So how can they be a big band? Yeah, exactly. Because like, you and your nine friends last bought a CD in 2004. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's um, why. And there are some amazing, there are some amazing names in there. I mean, one of the ones names you didn't mention is Tyson Andronicus. Tyson Andronicus are an incredible band, you know, totally different to anything that Metallica would do. But they're kind of like like a prog gaslight anthem almost you know there's some really really amazing stuff on both of those bills and obviously you got metallica as well uh, you know but metallica mm. i mean they they did um oh they did kill them all in full didn't they which was a secret i believe they did ride the lightning in full did ride the lightning in full as well, uh, i think they i can't remember if they did master of puppets in full or not but you know like it's it sounded like a really interesting festival, Orion. Um, certainly, far more interesting to me than what Download have been doing for years and years and years. And sadly, it was a total failure. It seems like interesting stuff sometimes is just not not enough. I mean, if people don't know well, it, it isn't. Well, well, be well. Enough, let, let's let's clarify. Interesting stuff put in front of predominantly mainstream metal fans mm. is not going to work mm-hmm. yeah um, this is the problem <coughs> it's a shame because it was an in, a really interesting experiment and um you know metallica should be praised far more than they are for for trying these things and and fucking up to be honest like they they should be um praised for trying because what other i mean you know, Slipknot have not fest, but that is very much kind of Ozfest part two, isn't it? Or or even download mm. part two or whatever. Like it's not you know, not fest looks cool. Um and um I was considering oh actually I wasn't considering going uh when it was gonna come to Milton Keynes because it's the same weekend as Arctangent. But you know, like I if it hadn't have been I I would have um popped along, I'm sure, and checked yeah. it out. Um and it, it looks like it might have been quite cool, but you know, I'm not entirely um don't know how convinced. I was gonna finish that sentence. <laughs> <Convinced>. <laughs> I was gonna finish that sentence. It's just it's just it's just a fucker that and we moan about this all the fucking time, don't we? These kind of mm. these ideas that a large proportion of metal, very vocal metal heads seem to have in their brains that, you know, this music cannot mix with that music. And we just prove time and time again that if you do mix metal with other genres, it actually is much better for metal. <laughs> well, it's funny that that's come up on this day as well, because I don't know if you've seen, <laughs> but um, 
Lulu, Metallica and Lou Reed's 2011 um, quote-unquote broken record, which you and I did for broken records recently and were both very positive about. I mean, I I think I like, I actually, I like it every time I listen to it. I like it more. Same. Um, Same. But only today, Jamie Jaster's come up with um, what he calls a solution to fix the record. He tweeted that he would donate £50,000 or dollars, I should say, $50,000 to Metallica's All Within My Hands Foundation if they let him and a bunch of other metal singers record their own vocals over Lulu's instrumental tracks. Um, Rob Flynn, Kurt Weinstein, Dee Snider, and Sebastian Bach were all mentioned as people alongside Jamie, I'm sure, um, as something uh, or uh, as the people that could get involved to, to kind of fix Lulu. I'm sorry, but the idea of Sebastian Bach getting his hands on Lulu is tragic. <laughs> and and it just goes to show, uh, I mean, I don't even know where to fucking begin with this, Renfrey. Obviously, I'm sure there are people who are listening who maybe didn't bother. I would like to think a lot of our audience actually went back and listened to Lulu. And I think quite a lot of people... I, I, we, I've got a few tweets going, yeah, it's actually... There's nothing wrong with Lulu at all. Hmm. Um, there really isn't anything wrong with Lulu at all. And if you think some bloke going, I will be heard over the top of Lulu is going to make it sound better. Yeah, no, yeah it's yeah. just going to make it sound like another shit metal album. Yeah, yeah. It's a fundamental. Which is not what it is at the moment. It's a fundamental misunderstanding. That's the thing. It would make it like a lot of other records. And at least like I, I have issues with Lou Reed's kind of... Um, you know, old man mumble over the top of that record. Like some of it is just utterly bizarre and doesn't really work for me, but at least it makes it different. Um, if you if you made it kind of like a Roadrunner United kind of thing, it'll just sound the same as everything else, you know? Yeah. Mm. So there you go. <laughs> another week, uh, another nail in the coffin <laughs> for <laughs> creativity in heavy metal. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to some reviews, shall we? Um, saying that, we're going to be pretty nice about heavy music in this week's show. Just as a, if if you if you're waiting for that, it is going to happen. But um, that's coming. First, we're going to start with Alanis Morissette. Her new album is called Such Pretty Forks in the Road. It is the second album from the Canadian singer-songstress. Um, follow up to 1995's classic Jagged Little... B Hold on. No, it's not. It's her ninth <laughs> album. What? When did that happen? <laughs> I was about to correct you. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually, it's actually not the follow up to Jagged Little Pill. It's the follow up to 2012's Havoc and Bright Lights. Now... Obviously, I was joking a little bit there, but there is um, a kind of nugget of truth to what I just said. Um, I don't think I'm alone in being one of those people who just know Alanis Morissette for that album. Um, once I heard Thank You, India, uh, from the supposed former Infatuation Junkie, I think was yeah. the follow-up album to, yeah. uh, to that album, um, and all the kind of bollocks that, that followed from that particular record, I kind of tapped out. And you can hear more about that soon on a forthcoming Broken Records, if I ever pick that album out of the house. Oh, yeah, can't wait. Can't wait for that. Anytime soon. Um, um, well, how about I, you? I, I'm quite different, actually. Um, I uh, followed Alanis for quite a while. Um, was quite disappointed by supposed former infatuation junkie because, like its title, it's too long. 17 tracks. <laughs> no, 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 no. Although, I think Thank You's fucking great. <laughs> I actually think her... Uh, 
not her third album, technically her fifth album, uh, her third album after Jagged Little Pill, is Under Rug Swept, which, it, which is a great record. Um, the first, oh, what? there's a crazy fact about that album. Hands Clean, I think, is the first single ever to chart, which is about um, sort of sexual transgressions in the music industry basically about about rape basically oh interesting fact Mm. um something that i think is interesting about alanis morissette in that she managed to we were talking about this a little bit with liz fair weren't we yeah we were yeah um who managed to just kind of that that jagged little pill album seemed to seem to tell uh, a narrative from the female perspective, which I'm not saying no one had ever done it before, but it never it had never hit that big before. And I think I think it was still yeah. a relatively new. It still felt like a relatively new thing for, you know, not not a woman to front a uh, band or or solo project or whatever, but but just just to be that kind of open and honest and naked about it, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, there was a lot of artists doing. I mean, you know, we've spoken about Fiona Apple, and she started around that time. Obviously, Courtney Love was doing something fairly similar at that time. You got people like you got kind of unapologetic female views around that era. Yeah, first time where you got it, those kind of unfiltered, um, unapologetic, you know, in in kind of rock and guitar based alternative music. And what what a great fucking exciting time garbage with shirley manson was brilliant as well you had those first couple of l7 albums and babes in toyland Mm -hmm. and you know there's a hell of a lot of stuff from that time i think it kind of it doesn't really get the maybe doesn't quite get the credit that it it deserves these days i don't think i don't think it does at all i think people are sort of now going oh well these days it's really good you know you can be a woman you can be really strong as it's never been like that before but actually that's not true i mean i think new metal came along and fucking ruined it for everyone obviously as we'll discuss later on um i don't know if it's because i was too young or not and maybe it was and maybe with you having a few more years on me you might be able to fill me in on this but i never recall um a conversation around kind of like oh i don't know oh there's this new band called garbage and they have a woman singing you know i never ever recall that at all whereas we did have that i mean gil brilliantly uh pastiche that quite a lot in our gill return special you know in metal particularly there was a lot of like a woman in metal you know and there was a lot of that in like the early 10s and stuff like that and it's yeah. embarrassing really um it, it, it came from because alternative rock kind of came out of grunge and also mm. when you think of the birth of alternative rock coming from um you know perry farrell and jane's addiction and perry farrell being a very androgynous mm-hmm. character and yeah. i think people like roddy bottom being very open mm-hmm. with his sexuality and faith no more i think those mm-hmm. those kind of early early bands um andrew wood in mother love bone as well yeah. being quite an androgynous character um and you know there, there's definitely a in in Pearl Jam and in Nirvana, there's definitely a more um, fem- there's a there's a feminine aspect to those artists. There's a sensitivity and a femininity to those artists that they sort of tapped into, which I think was why they crossed over so much, and also why when you get from 1992 to 1995, people like Alanis Morissette and Jewel and Garbage and Hole and and stuff like that is um, Alicia's Attic. Alicia's Attic <laughs> shampoo. <laughs> <and> <laughs> 
Shakespeare's sister. Uh, <laughs> Another mention um, for Shakespeare's sister. It's been a while since we mentioned yeah, them. <laughs> I, I, meant, I meant everything but the girl. Uh, <laughs> actually, there's, they're 50-50, aren't they? One's a, a girl and a boy. Mm, doesn't count. Mm, doesn't count. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, there was a lot, you know, and, and Sleeper and all that kind of, all the, you know, Britpop, yeah. you know, the kind of Ladette. That kind of morphed. I, I think what's interesting, particularly in this country, is how Alanis Morissette and what felt like real kind of, you know, a no fucks female rebellion of like, I really don't want to conform to your idea of what it means to be a woman anymore was quickly certainly in this country i can't really speak so much about america but certainly in this country very quickly turned into you know the ladette yeah. in this in this country and i think yeah. that might have been slightly that that rather than it being about kind of female empowerment it, it turned into like girls can flash their knickers and down a pint of stella and just be as sort of obnoxious as the men were being as well which is obviously they have every right to be like that but it, it wasn't as sort of fulfilling artistically but anyway so i did sort of check out a, a lasmo set around um you know pretty much straight away probably because of the stuff that i was listening to and you know whatever uh was i right to do so on the strength of this album yeah pretty much <laughs> i mean <laughs> um i think so this record uh what are we talking 25 years past her definitely her commercial peak um the first song smiling i think is actually really good uh, all kind of crystalline, beautiful, slow, like a mix of her voice, her very, very unique voice with the sort of instrumentation that you had on that Tori Amos live album that came with To Venus and Back. And I was like, oh, this is really good. This is really good. Yeah, it's got some very sort of um, uh, Alanis Morissetti um, uh, lyrics as well. Me, the notorious bottom dweller. Me, the seeding less brave experience explorer all that sort mm. of thing uh it was actually originally written for uh the jagged little pill stage musical do you realize this steve i did not know that no. mm, that song was originally written for that which is interesting i mean i don't know how i feel about a jagged little pill stage musical i hated bohemian rhapsody so uh god knows we will rock you it's cool oh sorry yes we will rock you oh, but I, I hate, hated film uh, I did actually mean We Will Rock You, but I hated both of them. Uh, so, um, I've I've not seen the Green Day American Idiot um, musical, so I can't say whether or not I hate that, although I am going to say that anyway, because I definitely would, wouldn't I? What, could what, what good could possibly come out of it? Musical theatre and American Idiot by Green Day. It must be awful. Um, there was a Ramones musical a few uh, decades. Well, oh God, I forgot about, about that. A decade and a half ago, the Meatloaf musical. Like the Meatloaf musical makes sense. Well, yeah, that does make sense. The Meatloaf musical is the only one where I can go, yeah, okay, fair enough. That actually makes sense, and I can see why you're doing it. Uh, quite weird to make Jagged Little Pill a stage musical, isn't it? I mean, we are we are doing something that we should never do, which is judging something before we've seen it or know anything about it. But it is a weird concept, is it not? Oh, really weird. Mm. Really, really fucking weird. Mm. Um, uh, it, it just doesn't... That, to me, makes the least amount of sense out of every, anything we've just said. Because <laughs> Queen are bombastic in their nature. Yeah. Uh, Green, yeah. Um, the Ramones are... They make really 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 poppy pop songs um i, I think about how meatloaf was designed completely as a musical totally like it, it's made as it's meant to be a musical it's very and broadway green day 
and Green Day, American Idiot, they're just absolutely massive sellouts who love money. So why wouldn't <laughs> they do any piece of shit? Um, whereas <laughs> Jagged Little Pill uh, is a really quite an angry, introspective, um, frustrated, odd album. Yeah, I mean, I can see, I can immediately see how a um, how a stage musical could be made out of that, though. As soon as you said that, though, <laughs> like it'd be horrible. It would be. Really it, it, horrible. Will, it will. It will probably be awful. But you know. But then I don't think either of us are fans of stage musicals, are we? So we probably no, should. No. We should probably stick stay away from that sort of thing, anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I've paid a little bit more attention to Lannis Morissette's career than you have. Although I have to admit, I haven't listened to the last two records. I think I stopped around So Called Chaos because I was like, yeah, I've got four Lannis Morissette albums now don't really need any more than that i probably only needed two if i'm totally honest and i say that as someone who fucking loves alanis morissette i think she's fucking great um but um jagged little pill and under rug swept are all you need um so for me i mean as as i tend to like to do i went on to metacritic to see how this is faring against all the other records and quite interestingly alanis morissette doesn't tend to be according to metacritic at least doesn't appear to be um reviewed all that well really um her mm. career as a whole um this is by far the album with the strongest score on metacritic with a score of 72 which is hey. mm, yeah which is like oh okay um you got under rug swept at 61 so-called chaos 56 jagged little pill acoustic at 40 which we will be coming to in some at some point on broken records flavors of entanglement 63 havoc and bright lights 55 and then this uh, worst one such pretty forks in the road 72 and despite the fact that i keep going back to metacritic all the time i think it sort of proves that um you can't pay loads of attention to this sort of thing because for me this is one of the weakest alanis morissette albums i've heard personally yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, I was going to say, actually, at the f at first, I quite liked it. I mean, I thought the first one was great. And then you get these kind of black hole chord sun, um, black hole black sun hole chords, cord <laughs> black <laughs> hole sun chords yeah. that start a blaze. And I was like, oh, this sounds like kind of classic Alanis Morissette that I, you know, like she just picked up where I last sort of was into her back mm -hmm. in 1995. Mm -hmm. um, uh, apples and snakes and divisions what she's singing about yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it was kind of older calmer more mature but still kind of angry and pissed off and that's what i expected and it's all what i hoped for as well um and then you got a song like reasons why reasons i drink which again lyrically i was like oh yeah this is that kind of acerbic you know angry um alanis morissette lyric but musically it's like a kind of sub mainstream offcut from uh that fiona apple album that's but interesting like, i think it's reasons it's not great that reasons i drink is the lead single and i also think it's uh the second best song on the album so really? yeah that's interesting um i think a lot of it is about the lyric um i like the fact that she's kind of just going these are the reasons i do this and again sort of being unapologetic for it in a in a sense um <clears throat> but i actually thought that was a pretty strong standout moment personally reasons i drink i think my main issue with this album is post reasons i drink certainly track four to track nine ten well yeah track four to track ten to be honest it's just very ploddy in middle of the road 
Um, yeah. And I understand, yeah. you know, as as artists um, uh, grow older and they tend to, you know, it's not uncommon for artists to mellow out a little bit in terms of the sort of songs that they... I don't think she's mellowed out lyrically particularly. It's it's a different type of anger, isn't it? Rather, you know, she's still pissed off on this record. It's just, it's not the anger of uh, Jagged Little Pill, is it? No, definitely not. But it's what surrounds it's the problem, surely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just, I just find, and sometimes, sometimes sort of growing old gracefully and maturely can make some incredible, credible kind of uh, laid back records. I mean, Ghosting is not a, terrible example for example by nick cave um but i just found this quite ploddy um and i found a lot of the songs sandbox love and her and nemesis and things yeah. things like that just all kind of rolling into one a little bit and i just um didn't didn't hate any of it didn't didn't despise any of it but just found it all a little bit ploddy ploddy plob plops um i'm just sounds Go. old i think i mean she sounds fucking yeah. old in so much of it i mean, I know she is old but I think... well she's in her 50s i mean she's not like ancient yeah um but you get these kind of very like a song like diagnosis which is really syrupy mm. and it's sort of string laden piano piano ballad which is so popular in kind of floppy mainstream parts you know it's like something like clean bandit would do mm. and it's it was sort of when I heard that I was like, "Oh, this is sort of everything that I feared this album was going to be." Mm. I hope it goes away quickly, and, and it, it doesn't. It sort yeah. of stayed there. It stays and in that. Yeah, yeah. It's almost the reverse of the Taylor Swift album, I think, because where Taylor Swift had was was had spent had spent the last sort of seven, eight years, maybe nine years, making really well polished, super crafted, massive pop music and you know, being the kind of the mainstream go-to and has decided to take things right down and go into, you know, uh, a more esoteric direction on a new record and done it with quite good results. Mm. And it seems like it's like, well, that's something that you obviously will, uh, you can obviously, you can do. I listen to this and it does feel like that artist from that, that admittedly only one album, which was a very long time ago, that I really liked, has now become just another ploddy, safe, mainstream-sounding um, voice that doesn't really stick out from... I mean, you know, I mentioned Clean Bandit. Uh, mm. I think there's... Which is obviously not a <laughs> you know, not a compliment in, in any way whatsoever. But there's a lot of that, like... Uh, I feel like a producer with... Oh, we can make you sound contemporary, Atlantis. I feel like there's people there saying, let's make it sound like this so that it will sound contemporary. And unfortunately, all it's doing is making it sound... It, it sounds old because of it. Because it's just dull. It's just dull, mu- it's just dull music. Yeah. And one thing I will say for it is, um, you know, you can tell it's Alanis Morissette. She has Alanis Morissette-isms in particularly lyrically and even melodically sometimes but also just her voice i mean it's so yeah oh, identifiably her. Like her yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which but i it's think just, it's it's it could be her front in fucking um london grammar or something do you know what i mean i mean I think yeah probably better than this uh yes yeah, same yeah london grammar's an interesting shout taylor swift's an interesting shout as well actually which hadn't occurred to me at all but yes absolutely um mm. this it, i mean in a way it's sort of 
makes me feel even fonder towards the Taylor Swift album because I found myself, I mean, as I mentioned with the Taylor Swift album, you know, it's too long and it goes on a bit. Um, But the highs are much, much higher than they are on this album. And also this album is almost 20 minutes shorter than the Taylor Swift album, but they feel around about the same length. Yeah, I was about to say, when I I just looked, I got it up on Wikipedia, because I was about to say, it's so fucking long, this album. And it's It's actually not that long. Six minutes long. Yeah. It's not that long at (laughs) all. It's not that long. It's a good 15, 16 minutes shorter than the Taylor Swift record. And I mean, I would actually, I think the Taylor Swift album goes by much faster than this. Yeah, fair enough. It's 15 minutes longer. Um, Mm. And like you say, the high points on it are so much higher. First two tracks I quite like, but then I think this gets unbelievably co-opted. I can feel the kind of sticky fingerprints of... um, of producers and label people all over it unfortunately yeah the one thing that i will say i mean i've sort of been saving this for last because i do think pedestal the final song um for some reason really really touched me in a way that the other songs hadn't um it's still arguably very very ploddy um i just thought it was of a much much higher quality than the sort of six seven songs that had preceded it um and if if for my money, if this has been an album of pedestals, if it had been eleven tracks of the quality of pedestal or or even smiling, um, I think we'd be saying some very, very positive things about this record because so you know, to be clear, there are moments on it, but it's kind of one of those classic albums. You know, but like but you got it a lot more in the nineties than you do now, I think. You used to get albums where you bought an album for the single and there were literally like three good songs on it and then the rest of the album was duff that's this mm. in a nutshell yeah it is five it out of five is. five out of five are the independent insane <laughs> oh, insane fucking hell that's an old um, colleague of mine but she's a fucking it? idiot so you know wow she sounds like a fucking idiot, <laughs> yeah, she, is. Um, she sounds like a fucking idiot uh there is no way on earth that this is a five out of five. Not Good in a God. not in a billion years. I I no. think it's a pretty solid three, to be honest. I think it's a pretty solid three star album. But oh, are you saying even harsher than that? I'd give it a two. It's a oh, two for me. Deary me. Deary yeah, me. Both so. Um anyway, sucks pretty forks in the road by Lance Morissette is out now. Um expect her to just... see expect her to see uh headlining download in the next couple of years because yeah, yeah. she is writing I mean, boring middle of the road music so i mean that would be wicked <laughs> like imagine if a last set rocks up a download that would be fucking great can you Even imagine on this album can you imagine how love it. bonkers people would go <laughs> i'd love it i mean even after just being like oh, that new album's boring she could come along and she could do a greatest hit set which would be fucking amazing she um, is and it a- would be better than watching bloody corn again <laughs> like i love corn right but they play every you know, i've already said it before before covid before covid she was uh due to be playing the o2 arena later this year doing jagged yeah, Little Pill in full. yeah so was i uh and i um yeah well it's been rescheduled for next year but i really yeah. really want to go so. yeah i used to be able to walk there didn't i can't walk you did now. you can't now no i could i just have to set off now <laughs> hilarious hilarious uh anyway let's move on the fall of troy is where we're going next how do you say this muckleturf i think that's a good shout muckleturf by the fall of troy it sounds like hey muckleturf it's uh, uh they're from Happy a- whatever <laughs> 
some sort of Italian Italian American thing. Uh, it's they're from Mockilteo in Washington, so it's a right. sort of uh, they've taken that and put homage. Earth on the other bit. Homage to where they live. Yeah. Uh, the sixth album from the Widley Post Hardcore Band, most known for their mid-noughties period, where they got a very excitable fan base. I remember people going on about the fall of Troy Renfrey, like they were the second coming of Christ, hmm. but with Widley guitar parts. Mm-hmm. Like imagine Jesus, but instead of turning um, uh, two fish and a loaf of bread into a meal for 5,000 people, we just turned it into loads of like weird... Um, like guitar parts that'd be good that's basically the thought what people talk about before that's about. exactly um, right yeah yeah um uh now i never really listened to the band back in the day to be perfectly honest although i did see them play a set at the last ever heavy fest in 2015 where they played their album doppelganger in full on its uh, anniversary yes um uh, yeah, I, I sort of watched them and I was like, oh, right, okay. Um, it felt like it dated a bit uh, in 2015. So, you know, Lord only knows what it sort of feels like now. But, as, a, um, as a live band, though, surely you were fucking impressed because... Oh, I was really impressed, yeah. I, I mean, was really impressed. Protoss the Hero came on straight on after him. And I remember being like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, a Fall of Troy have always been more impressive to me than Protest the Hero by a fucking mile. Uh, and there's only three of them. Um, mm. I mean, Thomas Irak, uh, I mean, they're all amazing play- players, but Thomas Irak in particular, the stuff that he is playing on guitar and the fact that he then sings at the same time, it completely blows my mind every single time. Um, I learned to play their biggest song, FC Premix, Um over christmas this year i say over christmas this year it actually took me about a year to learn to play it just playing the guitar part and uh obviously over you know not a year constantly but it took me a very very long time and um you know the fact that he plays that and sings it at the same time it just blows my fucking mind and i don't think fc premix is even like one of their like really really difficult songs to play <laughs> so the guy like they're amazing I, I interviewed thomas a while back for the independent for um oh for just like a look back over their entire career and like he's had music in his life like since since he was born basically his father was like a quite prominent jazz guitarist and all this sort of thing he's one of those one of those people who picked up a guitar when he was like three years old and it's just been right. in his life the whole time it's just an absolute prodigy just incredible mm. incredible um they were very definitely from that kind of we're bloody mad we are school of post hardcore which happened in the mid noughties which i quite liked some of that stuff although mm-hmm. like i say i'd never really had much to do with fall of troy um i do remember seeing that that show and thinking i should probably investigate them further and i never did so it's sort of a good job that they've got this new album out isn't it really renfrey mm. because we can speak about them now um you sound to me like you're actually a, a committed fan of this band i'm a full-on fan i fucking oh, yeah. adore fall of troy i think they're incredible um i'm very uh aware of, well <clears throat> all of their works i'm very familiar with doppelganger is the big one uh i certainly wouldn't say it's the best one but it is the big one um I quite like Manipulator myself. Manipulator is the record that came after it. And I also really like uh, Phantom on the Horizon, which is actually an EP, but uh, God, it's around sort of 35, 40 minutes anyway. Um, And it's sort of Fall of Troy going Mars Volta. 
uh, in, that's the elevator oh. pitch, um, which is which might be the best thing they've ever done. Um, when I spoke to Thomas about it, he said that it was indeed the best thing they'd ever done. Um, yeah, Fall of Troy split up for a little while due to <laughs> lots of stuff, due to them basically absolutely despising one another for a long time. Uh, and then they got back together, oh God, early 10s, let's say, and uh, released an album called OK, which was OK. Um, but it wasn't like super, super, super exciting. Uh, so, But this is the second album they've released since... Uh, having reformed it's their first in seven years and i personally as someone who does know fall of troy's oeuvre i would say that this is definitely better than okay uh the album and the concept of things being okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i i would agree i mean to be honest this is exactly what i expected it to be okay fair enough exactly what i expected it to be or i say in that i say exactly some stuff is a bit heavier than i maybe might have imagined there's a proper metal ending to roundhouse which i thought was really good yeah big fucking riff but in the main yeah it sort of sounds like what i thought they were going to sound like and i actually like them when they are a little less intense there's a song on it called i agree um, on this record Mirror- i agree yeah yeah, yeah, there, yeah there's a song called mirrors are more fun than television yes and that's got this kind of early emo that kind of heartland emo thing um mixed with a little bit of kind of technical wizardry but not a staggering oppressive amount and i actually thought that was really really good um Whilst whilst we're on that uh, motif, I've just realised that because I've wanged on about what an incredible player Thomas Iraq is, I might have given the impression that they they're like a tech band. They're really not, are they? Like you can tell they can fucking play, but there's never like you never feel like they're just showing off. It's always in in um, in uh, uh, in ode well, to the song. I would say. Or, well, oh, ooh, I wouldn't okay. say I never feel like they're showing. Oh, okay, okay. I think there's plenty of any of those bands from that time who were doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's always an element where you go, you know, the right, song, the, 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 you don't need to do that. Um, <laughs> but it's good. But like that was that was the scene. You know, there was shit like the Locust was happening around this time yeah, when yeah, it first yeah. came out, wasn't it? So it was a thing. You yeah. know, there was a whole load of bands. That Thick were out, and obviously Dillinger yeah. happened, and there was a you know Math Rock was a th- battles and stuff like that was a thing. And I, see, I, I think would... Sixth are quite a good example because Sixth, you you go, fuck me, you guys can play, but you always feel like it's in service to the song. Don't you? I yeah, do. I guess so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I kind of feel the same way with Fall of Troy, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's bits... I think all the songs are good and actually, like, uh, there is some widdly... There are a lot of widdly diddly bits on this, but yeah. nothing to the point where... I don't think that I feel like I need to follow it. To, uh, otherwise, I'm not going to get anything out of the song. Yeah. You know, there's there's some really good um, Chain Wallet Nike Shoes is really catchy. Mm. I mentioned mm. Mirrors are more fun than television. Um, Knife Fight at the Mormon Church, I think, is really, really strong as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is basically made up of three different maddening riffs. Yeah. Um, all played in sort of slightly different ways. I, really good. I, mean, I mentioned Roundhouse as well. There's a song in it called, I don't know if I'm saying this right um there's a county sheep has got like i said got a massive proper massive riff um uh and then there's a song called bore 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 yig me and in that one that was one of the things where i was like okay that, that starts with this really wicked massive riff and they play it like three times it never comes back and i was like you could have done more you could have done more with that 
because it's really great, but they there, just chuck it away like it ain't no thing. There is a lot of that with the fall of Troy in general, I have to say. Um, and what it kind of creates is this thing where you have to invest in their albums a lot more because a riff that a lot of people would base an entire song around, Fall of Troy will play and then discards 30 seconds later and you will never hear it again and you're like that riff is fucking killer uh i can totally understand why that would be seen as incredibly irritating to a lot of people um but it it kind of means that the more you get into the record you you tire of the record less quickly because you're not hearing that riff if you if you hear a riff 20 times in a song as opposed to one time in a song you're going to tire of it less quickly it's just simple maths really Mm. Um, that's true but but it but it does mean that you have to invest more time to begin with. Um, yeah. This is a relatively oh I, I was about to say it's a relatively easy album to digest. That's not true. Um, it's no. a relatively concise album. It is just under forty minutes. It's thirty nine minutes and twenty six seconds. Um, and I think it's sort of easy enough to to uh, uh, digest in one sitting and all that kind of thing. And um, there's there's enough moments where they do sit back in a groove and give you a bit of space to breathe um you mentioned chain wallet and nike shoes there's the the last half of that song i fucking love because they settle back into a groove for a good two and a half minutes or so and um Erect just peels out this incredible guitar solo that's like half tom morello half eric clapton it's like a really soulful guitar solo with morello type effects over the top of it and it sounds really really cool um, and it is quite rare to hear Fall of Troy just sitting back on a rhythm for a long time. Uh, so I really, really like that. There's a there's that wicked vocal effect that they use on the day the strength of Ven failed, which is uh, similar to, you know, that, um, oh, was it on Capillion Crest, the Mastodon song? Blood the Mastodon. Mastodon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, fucking yeah. great. Um, mm. I really, really like this album. As a massive, massive Fall of Troy fan, I don't think... I don't think I'm ever going to hear a Fall of Troy record that, for me, matches uh, Doppelganger, Manipulator, Phantoms on the Horizon, or even In the Unlikely Event, which is often um, maligned in the Fall of Troy catalogue. It was their last ever album uh, and was called, ironically, in the unli- the full title was In the Unlikely Event that the Fall of Troy split up, which is exactly what they did about a year later. It was a joke, you see. Um, and... Um, I don't think anything they have done has like since reforming has quite matched up to those early albums. But then when you love a band's discography, I mean, it's, it's very rare that that happens, especially when you absolutely adore a band and their the, the, the stuff that they're first writing, you know, and you've, you've known that material for like 10 years or whatever. Um, I don't feel like Mulcateth or okay, quite live up to those records but i certainly prefer this one to the last album so right okay that's good yeah i mean i think you know if you're one of the people that were banging to the sort of nuttiest shit from the noughties mm. i can absolutely understand why you would love this um, oh, yeah. it feels like a bit of a sort of throwback to that kind of stuff having said that as someone who doesn't know anything really about fall of troy other than the the, the those shows that i saw um i really like this a lot i mean it reminds me of stuff from the past mm. to be honest mm. it reminds me of that scene which isn't really a th- there's not really bands doing that sort of thing like they were like we mentioned protest a hero and we reviewed their new album recently and that's that was actually fairly different from what i think of when i think of the 
the maddest, like wackiest protester hero yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's not really a scene of people sort of doing that so much anymore, um, which is absolutely fine because if it's good, it's good. And I think there's been a long enough period of time for it now to just feel like, oh yeah, I remember when people made music like this and actually it's really, really involving and difficult and, you know, and it does have a lot of different elements that you need to really concentrate on. But ultimately they find a way to kind of cohesively tie it all together. And when you mention stuff like, you know, Tom Morello and Eric Clapton as influences and that kind of being a meld of those two things. I'm assuming you mean that sonically it sounds like those two things, not in that that, that guitar solo is, uh, half of it is actively fighting racism and the other half is actively <laughs> racist. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> Very good <laughs> reference. <laughs> yes, that is. Um, sonically. Uh, yeah, so sonically doesn't mean that, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the personalities of those people. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I really like this. I thought it was good. I yeah, it was really good. I really like it. I mean, I mean, even for me, I, I suppose even the weakest Fallout Fall of Joy release for me is like head and shoulders above what a lot of their contemporaries used to do. I do. I think they're really phenomenal. Very jazzy, uh, which is always a good thing for me. Um, I mean, I will say if you do like this, I would very much encourage you to go back to Fall of Troy's older stuff because out of their seven releases, and I'm saying seven because I'm including the Phantom on the Horizon EP here, this is probably my fifth favourite. Right, okay, wow. I mean, I think I definitely will listen to Doppelganger because, I mean, if this is their... Seems like a... Do you, know, do, you know what, do you know what I recommend? Because uh, Doppelganger is maybe my third favourite release. I, I'd go straight to Phantom on the Horizon, which is, which is okay. the EP, and it is fucking stunning. Okay, I'll do that. There you go, that's The Fall of Troy. Muckilturf uh, is out now. Let's move on to our next artist which is jay jail the album is called prison um this is the second full length album from the gentleman evan patterson who is the front man for young widows um do we know for a fact it's his second full length because the kerrang review says third and i thought it might be his fourth (laughs) <laughs> oh really well i thought it was uh i thought the others were eps looking at it okay. but i might be ro- i might be wrong it's difficult to say i don't i i, I don't difficult. i don't know really but yeah uh, okay i saw something that said second somewhere so okay. i just assumed it was the second but hey anyway um yeah but under the pseudonym jgl we'll have to confirm that uh as we as we go um Available on Sergeant House Records, which is sort of a sign of quality, isn't it? Really? Very much so. House? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sergeant House has. Oh, I. You know what? Sergeant House may well be my favourite record label, Steve. Ooh. End of. Just you know, Chelsea Wolf and so I watch you from afar. Russian circles. Uh, mm. Just an astonishing lineup of acts. Uh, they've got Brutus now, haven't they? Mm-hmm. you know just yeah incredible incredible roster of artists sergeant house um and uh they always just do interesting music i would say you know uh they've just brought on alexis marshall uh from daughters to do stuff deaf heaven are on there as well the armed lingua ignota yeah i mean mutoid man literally one of the most one of the best record labels in the world so you shouldn't be that surprised to learn that this record is really good. Right? 
No, you shouldn't shouldn't be surprised. Not at all. Um, although I have to say, uh, so I brought this in knowing who JJL was. I've um, seen JJL a couple of times live and I have a split that he did with uh, Emma Ruth Rundle a year or two ago. Um, and I've always been very interested in what JJL does and um, Evan Patterson, who is the man behind uh, this band. And... Um, I've never been able to get a full kind of grasp on exactly what it is he does. There's a sort of Tom Waitsy slash Nick Cave-esque stature, presence, uh, baritone gruffness to what he does. Um, but then at the same time, suddenly out of nowhere, there'll be an awful lot of kind of um, very experimental electronic David Lynchian madness that comes out of nowhere and scares the fucking shit out of me. Um, he, for this record, he partnered with Ben Chisholm, who uh, also did absolutely sterling work. I think the last time we talked about Ben Chisholm was um, collaborating with Chelsea Wolfe, I would imagine. Yeah, um, would He's also collaborated with Whitehorse and Revelator, who are two artists I don't know, actually, I have to confess. But certainly uh, he has some very, very... You know, whenever he collaborates with an artist, it's always very, very interesting to hear the results. And this is, um, well, this was described somewhere as like a fever dream, uh, this album. And yeah, fever dream sounds right to me. Um, I'm going to, I'm gonna. well, I'm going to, I'm going to um, go over to you because I know you're bursting to talk about this because I suspected you would quite like this, but I was quite stunned at how much you like it steve when we come to the end of the year i cannot foresee any way that this won't be in at least the top five records of the year for me i cannot fathom that i don't know there are a couple of records where i'm like there's no way there's no way that that is not getting in at least the top five and there's no way that anything is is gonna usurp this from the top five. I don't believe it. There's two other albums that I feel like that about at the moment, where I'm like, I mean, this is legit like album of the year contender mm. for me. I think it's absolutely fucking amazing. It is like an album of Nick Cave esque dark gothic nastiness remixed by Prurient and with daughters as the backing band um but it's much more it's kind of that makes it sound really loud and noisy continually and very intense it's less it's, sonically abrasive than how yes. you're describing it yeah yeah it's less intense i think jay jail is to daughters what queens of stone age were to that alan johannes album Oh, what an, that's a very interesting comparison. A little bit niche, but I like it. <laughs> it yeah, is, it, yeah. it, it so is very good. <laughs> what, what we said about the Alan Johannes album yes, last week was that, can you imagine it? You know, what you've got here, basically, is if you can imagine that Desert Sessions thing done on an acoustic guitar in a much more somber way. Doesn't lose any of the intensity. Yes. It's not played with any uh, less fire or fervor. It's not really changed at all. It's just naturally quieter naturally more relaxed and i kind of think that's what this is you've got a song like don't 
Blame the Rain, which sounds like something that would be from like a cat and mouse cop thriller set in the future. It's like something that, um, uh, what's his face? Um, uh, I was going to say, da- you've said David Lynch and you're making me think David Lynch. David Fincher. It's like something from a David uh-huh. Fincher film. Uh-huh, right? yeah. Um, uh, the River Spirit. I mean, it really kind of, the point where I went from going, hmm, this is really interesting to being like, Jesus, this is brilliant, is the River Spree, which recalls, which talks about Berlin a lot, yes. recalls all of that Berlin era stuff. He talks about thinking about David, thinking about Iggy, and it's amazing. And like I said, it reminds me of a, a Daughters remix done by Prurient in 1976. Um, it's fucking incredible. I mean, there's creepy, there, there's, there's parts in it where, I think he out Trent Reznor's Trent Reznor in, the, in, ter- in terms of the creepy piano parts. Trent Reznor has got that really, I say out Trent Reznor, Trent Reznor. He, I think he goes toe to toe with mm. Trent Reznor on those discordant piano parts that you hear on those like ambient uh, instrumental Nine Inch Nails tracks. I don't, use that comparison lightly at all no but definitely that is not. creepy nine inch nails piano laments there's um there's a song i need you that has a kind of creaking door sound mixed with those piano parts and the vocals stay so far back in the mix it's like something from a horror film but a really kind of psychologically damaging horror film it never gets loud it's like a stalker it's like when you it's like feeling like you're being followed but then you get home and you close the door and you go oh that was really weird it never attacks do you know what i mean and i think that's that shows an unbelievable amount of restraint i think that shows an unbelievable amount of um imagination to not do that mm-hmm. um and there's a i mean there's a lot of we've talked about a lot about you know the daughters that mike Patton project with um jean-claude vanier um idols bambara though i mean idols mm-hmm. obviously is quite different to this but in terms of post-punk yeah like, yeah yeah yeah, of, yeah the idea of post-punk particularly you know the the nick cave and tom waitsian mm-hmm. post-punk that we speak about a lot and it's such a fucking cool sound and i think to to mix that with like i i mean i'm i'm tempted to say synth wave although that makes it sound way happier and way louder and way more sort of pumping than but I mean, New Model by Perturbator is the kind of the the low energy synth wave um, piece of music that I would compare it to. It's Vangelis. It's kind of Blade Runner, mm. and and I mean, I just think this album is it gets better and better and better every time I listen to it. I think it's fucking amazing. It is. It will creep up on you, and it will. It will. You'll suddenly two three listens in you'll go this is amazing mm. i can't objectively disagree with anything you're saying at all and i don't um disagree with anything you're saying at all however i'm not as far along with it in my love for it as you you are as of yet maybe i mean you tend to go for the oppression a little bit more than i do <laughs> i think mm. or you're more naturally inclined towards that the oppressive side of things than i am i certainly think i mean i would definitely echo everything you just said about restraint and how um disciplined this album is i guess in terms of that creepy kind of 
it does i suppose when there's a horror film and you can feel that there's about to be a jump scare but that kind of moment that twisted feeling in your stomach it does kind of manage to more or less keep that feeling going within you for 38 minutes and 32 seconds which is an astonishing feat um but i suppose that's also that's also kind of what's sort of hasn't warmed me to it as of yet um completely and utterly i listen to this and i go this is clearly very good but i'm i'm not completely and utterly in its embrace as of yeah i don't know if i'd want to be in this thing's embrace fucking hell probably snap your neck um it's interesting you mentioned bambara there because i did think of bambara quite a lot even though really <sighs> bambara is a far more kind of you could probably you could probably put Pambara on at a party and get away with it. You couldn't put this on a, par- a party. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I think to all intents and purposes, they are essentially a similar type of music. Yes. Whereas Bambara has, you know, spaghetti Western and big choruses and it shouts at you. Do you know what I mean? It yes, a lot it does. Of- Bambara yeah. make a lot of noise. This doesn't really make that much noise. It's way more subtle. Mm. And, um, and I think that Bambara album is is fucking weird. Like, it's not an insult to either of those things. I no. think both of them are fucking brilliant in their own right. But this is, for me, um, the Bambara album's great, but this is a much more affecting record. And I don't know that I've heard anyone take so long and, and never really go, it never, it never really screams at you. It mm. never shout. it never gets loud. It never gets like, you know, the Daughters album, when it's quiet is terrifying mm. and those long kind of throbbing electronic passages with you know with someone kind of like moaning over the top of it it's scary and there are parts of that where again i never think it gets quite as intense as daughters but it's not it's not it's a different sort of intense um but they're probably the closest thing that i can say uh this really reminds me of even though i don't really think it sounds like daughters at all like i said it's daughters in the same way as queens of stone age are a big rock band and alan johannes is a a kind of a a, a solo acoustic project yeah um that's kind of the only way that i can really you need to listen to it i mean you really do need to listen to this Mm. if you did like that last daughters album if you did like ghost teen um, if you've liked any of those kind of these sort of post-punk albums that we've spoken about over the past couple of years, um, this is another really, really different strand of it. And I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is, but I think it's fucking brilliant. Absolutely fucking brilliant. This is going to be an odd question, but how do you think this, in in its sort of oppressive nature, despite being sonically very, very different, we talked about a very oppressive album last week in the form of Imperial Triumphant. How do you think the oppressive nature of it compares to that? Or is that a I ridiculous actually, question? Well, I mean, it's absolutely nowhere near as... It's far easier to listen to than Imperial Triumphant. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Far, far, far easier. Um, totally different genre. Totally different. Completely but, but, different genre. But do you see the do you see the 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 um, com- comparison I'm making? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the, the 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 level of intensity that both bands have yes. are similar. Yes, but they are directed in completely different directions. Yeah, agreed. Um, agreed. This, like I say, shows huge amounts of restraint, um, whereas Imperial Triumphant show 
pretty much no restraint. <laughs> no restraint whatsoever. Yeah, that's fair. That's uh, a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, and I actually think if, <laughs> if again, I've said this a few times, but if you've been intimidated by the idea of getting into this type of music, I actually think this is kind of horrible enough to give you the same sort of feeling that something like Daughters or Swans would give you. But it's also quiet and it's not it's not a punishing record. It's not a punisher. It's just very intense. But it's not sonically punishing. So I think it might be something that would be quite a good way to dip your toe into it. Mm. But even having said that, you still best be ready for something very dark. I have to admit, I'm really, really pleased that you like this as much as you do. Whilst I don't feel like I'm there quite yet, just hearing you talk about it is making me want to go back to it more. Um, and it does feel like it's definitely a record that I will be going back to. And I do feel like that maybe in three to four weeks time, there is a chance that I will be um, saying I love it as much as you do. It's just sometimes, sometimes you're... It's a record you've got to be in the mood in for, I think. Mm, and uh, sometimes you're in the mood for this kind of thing and sometimes you're not. It's been quite quite nice weather-wise uh, recently yeah. <laughs> and all that sort I of thing. I actually listened to it in the garden with a coffee this morning. <laughs> I did, in the sun. It was really <laughs> yeah. nice. I'm sure I'm... I'm I was sort of sitting there just staring ahead like, oh, <laughs> Berlin... I I like, oh god i certainly have a lot of respect for jj though and i've seen you know i've seen them live a couple of times and i definitely think it's evans a very interesting artist and um has this incredible voice this incredible lived-in voice you know um and yeah i think this is really really interesting i'm not in love with it to the same extent that you are and for my money the, the Bambara record does more for me, even though they're in a similar realm and yet totally different, if that makes sense. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really, really pleased that you like it as much as you do. I do. I'm not lying. I actually do really <laughs> like it. Wasn't suggesting you were. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, that's Prison by Jay Gel, which is out right now. Go and have a little listen to that. The next album we're going to talk about comes from Orbit Culture. It's called Nija. Um, I've written down Ninja. I think that's all corrected itself. Pathetic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Ninja. Uh, got to be careful how you say that, I think. Um, the third album from the Swedish metal band that I have to confess I was not familiar with until I heard this record, but it is a follow-up to their 2016 album, Razen. Um, I wasn't familiar with them either, if it makes you feel no, any better. No, no. Uh, this record was apparently conceived, I say apparently, I know because I spoke to him, um, uh, conceived to due to guitarist and vocalist Nicholas Carlson's crippling obsessive compulsive disorders. It is a kind of allegorical tale of um, of those problems that he has, uh, which makes it immediately kind of thematically rather interesting. I'd say, Renfrey. Hmm. Yes, I didn't know that. I have to admit. So that's that's not mentioned in the press release at all. What a weird oh. thing to not. I don't know. Anyway, um, yes, I had no idea about that. Um, and it certainly makes it sound, it gives it a thematic hook, which is more interesting than, oh God, no, I think that's going to be a bit harsh to say. I was about to say more interesting than the music. That isn't strictly true. Um, there's an element of kind of, I, I have to admit, when you sent this to me, I when I started it, there was an element of meat and potatoes metal, which which was did make me feel like this is going to be a very long 45 minutes 
Um, it was the album really gets going for me with the third track, Day of the Cloud. I think it's something I just think that opening riff is fucking great. And the chorus is really banging as well. But the first couple of tracks I was hearing maybe a few too many Hetfieldisms, a few too many tropes that I've heard from metal bands a million times before, basically the sort of thing I made about with metal all the bloody time. And I, and, and I thought it was done to a pretty high standard, but I did just feel like I have heard this a lot before, but then there are moments on this record which really give me the stink face. There are, um, they do mention that they're two, like two of their big influences are Metallica and Gojira and uh god blimey you can hear that i mean it does often sound like a hybrid of gojira and metallica but that's hardly the worst thing in the world really is it i think the other big one is trivium there's quite a lot of trivium in there um but uh, metallica and gojira are a far sort of stronger presence because metallica and gojira both have a stronger sense of identity than trivium too as we've talked about in the past um yeah. <laughs> so um but yeah you kind of you brought this in was this uh sort of this is this something you did for metal hammer was this or? yeah and i really mm. like it i mean i mm. think it's a kind of it reminds me we did the iris album earlier in the year mm. we were saying it's kind of a mixture of death metal and thrash and groove and you know kind of new metal bounce and all these kind of different things and it just felt like a really big melting pot of stuff and i think it's sort of similar with this with this record as well i mean gajira are they get compared to gajira all the time and you can definitely see why um and i think you're talking early gajira as well because you know the vocals yeah. on it are brutal and the guitar tone is proper you know early gajira death metal i mean there's bits of melodeth and sort of deathcore sort of squadged together in it um it I'm actually just up. before just before you move on, I'm going to say one of the things I'm not sure about is the guitar tone. Actually, I have to say, oh, really? um, it is super super heavy, but it to me it sounds a little bit um, guitarist will know what I mean when I say metal zone. Um, there's quite a notorious mm. uh, metal zone pedal made by by Boss, um, which a lot of guitarists. It's kind of a joke. It's it's sort of a, a, a meme joke amongst uh, Widley guitarist players that you're like, oh, right. your tones like the Boss metal zone. Um, right, okay. It's very digital, very processed kind of thing. I don't I don't hate it. But certainly, I think that whole thing of me saying it took me a couple of songs to get into the record. It does almost feel like I need to adjust my, uh, adjust myself. <laughs> oh, no, mm. that's the wrong way to put it. Uh, adjust my ears to the record as it goes. Yeah, on. I mean, you mentioned um, uh, Day of the Cloud, which I think mm. is massive. It drops down a notch, goes berserk at the end. Mm. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, really, really good. I also like the way they kind of change up the vocal approach about halfway through the album with open yes. eye which yes. is a kind of snarled snarled lead vocal and the death metal vocals take a bit of a backseat from it which i think is good as well i um, have to say so that is track five of a nine track album and i was getting quite frustrated at that point the first time around to listen to it and then when that change came in i was like oh good you you've you've kept my attention and i was a bit worried that it wouldn't yeah um mirror slave has this sort of symbol blast beat that's like a kind of extreme metal of end sevenfold i think they're kind mm. of pulling they're doing that thing that we talked about like i say with iris where they're pulling from from power metal i mean it's actually quite yeah. a big bombastic record again we've spoken a bit about like you know um lord of the ringsy power metal um 
influences in, in in metal recently and actually how if done well and done correctly surrounded by the right things actually can sound all right i think this is another example of doing that kind of bombasty power metal stuff and it not sounding too che- there are bits of admittedly where it does sound a little bit cheesy but it's not so cheesy and too cheesy for me to be like oh god it's ruining the song because you know you get a good death metal you get a big riff or you get a good kind of death metal vocal you get a kind of you know a, a really sort of white hot lead that comes in or you know like some fucking blasting or whatever and i just think it is a cool meld and mix of lots of different types of metal and you mentioned sort of personality and i think there are many many bands who um who would try and mix all of this stuff together and they'd end up sounding like a playlist like we've spoken about before Mm, or a kind of blamange of nothingness but i do get the feeling that i kind of I, I know who Orbit Culture are from listening to this record. Do you know what I mean? It's not the most unique album ever, mm. but I think it at least kind of stays consistent to them the entire way through. I think, yeah, I, I, consistent's definitely the the right word. I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that they have their own, their very own sense of individualism at this stage. Um, but it certainly, it certainly never feels like a playlist, and they are, they are bringing in lots of different elements of. I mean, I, w- I would say broadly metal. I did read a very short interview with them. Uh, it was more of a press release type thing uh, where they said that, like, we have, you know, really diverse, wide range of influences, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, within metal. Um, you know, I would uh, like, that's what it sounds like to me. I'm sure they listen to stuff outside of metal well, as well. I but, can tell you, know. you he, he listens to, I was speaking to Nicholas, the guy um, who's the, the lead vocalist and the guitarist who kind of writes a lot of it. He listens to, uh, he was telling me he listens to like um, film scores most mm. of the time. I'm I mean, sure I tried he does. To talk to him, I tried to talk to him about um, Clint Mansell and he was a bit like, oh, I just mean the Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> well that's that's exactly it it's kind of like yeah i listen to film scores but basic bitch film scores you know um and like you know there might i'm sure he does listen to hans zimmer but i don't hear much hans zimmer in this in this you know what i mean like i think it is diverse but within a quite limited genre if that makes sense you know there are mm. bits of like you can hear a little bit of in flames here and you can hear a bit of Gajira there and you can hear a little bit of trivium there but like you know it is within its field isn't it um but yeah you know that's that's okay that's fine and it did there was a lot especially as the album goes on as i keep mentioning i do think it takes a little while to get going but as the album goes on there were a lot of moments sometimes quite fleeting but a lot of moments where i thought oh this is really they've done some really cool like just some little like cool guitar sweeps or a natural harmonic or something like that which just makes you go oh yes um there's undoubtedly a Trivium-esque kind of thing going on with this, I think because they're pulling from a lot of the same influences, to be honest. Um, but I was curious to know how you compare this to what the Dead Men say, out of interest. Uh, uh, I, it's not as good. I don't think it's as good at all. Um, but I, it's not a million miles away. I don't think they're far off at all to be totally honest i think they're pretty similar i will say that i think the songwriting and the song craft generally is better on what the dead men say which is hardly surprising oh and the production yeah yeah yeah. which is hardly surprising considering trivium what was it then is it their ninth album eighth eighth album and this is uh culture's third um but 
in terms of like cool bits, cool moments, uh, I thought this album had about three times as many as what the Dead Men say. Those moments which make you do stink face. Uh, those bits where you go, oh, that bit is fucking killer. Um, I thought it had a lot more going for it than what the Dead Men Say. Overall, I don't think it is as good as what the Dead Men Say, but I don't think it's far off. And if I were forced to score them, I would give them the same score, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I actually think I did uh, in Hammer. It's there also, it's true. So I forgot about Ember's Inferno. It's actually his Trillion's ninth album. Don't at me. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think this is very, I think this is very good. It's a very good metal album. Mm. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I mean? No, I agree. I agree. It, yeah. it, this is decent. It's not the it's not the sort of thing that I go towards anymore, um, because I'm I'm just bored with this sort of thing. But I but I do think it's a very very high quality, and I can see them potentially riding a wave that could make them quite big uh, mm. within this field. Absolutely. I mean, if they jumped on tour with Gojira or or Trivium, say. Uh, that could do fucking wonders for them potentially it really could really could so there you go it's uh Nisha by orbit culture and our last album again more heavy shit renfrey concrete free free us from existence the fourth album from the new york hardcore crew have been around since 2010 mm. um you brought this one in uh mm. this is fucking savage as fuck this mm. is um like a kind of amalgam of classic beatdown hardcore with some grindcore bits thrown in together. Mm. Uh, just heavy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I brought this in. So again, uh, just like Orbit Culture for you, this was um, one of the releases I got through Metal Hammer. Um, I think we've said this before. Quite a lot of the t- stuff that we have to review for Metal Hammer is just very kind of samey. We've heard it all before kind of thing. But occasionally something pops out um like orbit culture for you and this popped out for me because i was like holy shit um this is kind of like it felt like to me that it was all forms of extreme music coalesced into one half an hour album or ep i don't know what they're calling it let's call it an album fuck it seven songs 30 minute runtime um and I mean, I, I said in my Metal Hammer review that they're described, they self-describe themselves predominantly as a hardcore band, but I think that does them a massive disservice, really, because there's black metal elements, there's death metal elements, thrash metal, um, as you said, grindcore, and it just feels like for an album this sonically extreme throughout, I was really, really impressed with how much they change things up whether it be in terms of tempo or in terms of uh, dynamics or whatever it was to keep my interest throughout. I think it's a pretty perfect length. I don't think it could have been much longer than 30 minutes. No, 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 no. But it does. But by God, it does keep my attention for that, that entire time, whether it goes into a groovy sludgy bit or a really breakneck kind of blast beaty bit because it, because it, it is dynamic within, within its field and it does keep changing. And I just thought it was a really, I was really, really impressed with it. I hadn't heard of the band beforehand. Um, I said for fans of Napalm, Death, Slayer and Leeched, which I think is a pretty good uh, indicator of what this is. I suppose in a sense, this is drawing from even smaller, an even smaller pool of inspiration than the Orbit Culture record. I just think it does it to an extraordinarily high quality. Yeah, it's good this. It is good. I mean, I would say kind of, 
it's like a a, a kind of a, 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 like a brummy grindcore version of Madball. Is what I thought. <laughs> like it's def it's it's definitely it's definitely hardcore, um, but it just tonally is very different um, to typical New York hardcore. So I get what you're saying with the kind of the death metal elements and the the grindcore elements. Um, uh, a lot of blasting. When they go into those big mosh parts, ironically, that's when they lose me the most. I oh, interesting. I actually prefer them to go, you know, super fast and really quite extreme. And I think they're great then. I think when they go into the mosh parts, it is a bit like, yeah, 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 yeah. But mm. then I kind of, I'm starting to feel like that about pretty much every band mm. who go into just like full, like gun, 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 yeah, gun, yeah, gun, yeah. gun. Like that's just what all of it sounds like. Mm. Um, it's, But it is good. I mean, I agree with you. I think it it's a good length. It's um, really, really continually scabrously heavy it mm. hits you hard and it hits you in a variety of different places but each one of them is hard yeah do you know what i mean yeah, yeah like yeah. it punches you in the face as hard as it fucking knees you in the bollocks so um if if that explains anything um <laughs> that sounds appealing to me <laughs> yeah oh great well, I, uh, I, but i think that's exactly what impressed me about it because generally when some i mean we've talked about this a lot especially me when something is of one kind of sonic extremity throughout it has to do something quite spectacular or quite genuinely interesting with the song craft in order to keep my attention and i was really stunned that this did considering you know it's similar to leached i think leached are better than what concrete are doing personally but i don't think there's loads in it um and uh yeah I, I i was just really impressed with this i thought i thought it was very good for what it was and i certainly yeah. thought you'd like it so you know um without being anything particularly new yeah a bit like kind of again like the culture without being anything particularly new this has a load of elements of great stuff yeah um great that that sound just excellent kind of splashed together it's just well executed isn't it i think that's yeah, the key thing i think wrong with that. and i'd say that with orbit culture as well i think both mm -hmm. of these records in a weird way we sort of put them together um but it, it's, it's it's kind of like just metal which is really well executed nothing particularly new but it, it but both of them execute it really really well yeah, so. for sure there you go that's free us from existence by concrete and we will end the show as ever with broken records our search for the worst album ever made so far we have a list of about 15 or 16 albums at this point don't we Rimpy? no 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 it's here. nearer 20 oh is it we've okay. been doing this for for a while now yeah, yeah, yeah we have haven't we yeah um i'll read you out the thing at the end um but this week uh it's still number one it's still uncle cracker uh mm. double wide uncle cracker currently sits at a top um and it may be joined alongside its number two spot methods of mayhem it may be joined potentially by another band from the school of new metal the biggest one we're gonna take down the daddy Renfrey. we're gonna we're gonna kill the queen cut off the head of the serpent limp biscuit results may vary uh released on the 23rd of september 2003 it is the fifth album from is it the fifth album i no, thought it was the fourth, fourth album yeah. yeah sorry no one said fifth. the fourth album from fred durst and his rap metal megastars. So, Limp Biscuit. I'd like to say, I've, 
I've just heard, I've now heard every single Limp Bizkit album apart from Gold Crowborough because of this stupid feature. So, right. I'm, so you think about that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Renfrey. I love Limp Bizkit. I saw Limp Bizkit supporting Corn at Brixton Academy in 1998 before they had an album out and they were great. I bought $3 Bill Yaw the day it came out and I mm-hmm. fucking loved it. I saw them supporting Soulfly at the Astoria. Fred Durst threw a uh, a fan, not someone in the crowd, an actual fan, threw a fan in the crowd, and I bloody loved it. And they covered House of Pain's Jump Around. I had a lovely time. I bought a Significant Other the day it came out, and I loved it. I loved Limp Biscuit, But then I got into sort of hardcore, in between Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish, got into some more extreme stuff. Started to find Fred Durst quite annoying, Pretty fucking annoying, to be honest. To the point that I did not buy Chocolate Starfish immediately when it first came out because everything seemed a little childish, a little simplistic for me, which I still would say is true now. But, I mean... Oh, come on. An an album called Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. There's nothing childish about that. Come on. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously it is, but I kind of love the fact that it is. Um, Yeah. Fred, Fred Durst was everywhere. He did that MTV thing with Christian yeah. Aguilera, which Phil, as Richard Patrick said, was embarrassing to us all. Um, that's coming from Richard Patrick. That's coming from Richard Patrick. <laughs> uh, you know, I was obviously very much in the minority by not buying Chocolate Starfish straight away because, as we know, it was a fucking mahoosive hit. It actually became the fastest selling rock record in seven years since Pearl Jam's Versus when it sold 400,000 copies on the first day of release and over 1 million copies in the first week of release. That is mental. That is mad. Yeah, that is fucking mad. Yeah. And and uh, and proof that um, the critics really don't have a any kind of uh, say in whether albums sell well or not. Because I, I recall Chocolate Starfish being very received very lukewarmly indeed mm. not badly mm. per se but but it was i remember Karan gave it three k's and we're just like yep. eh. you know so yeah so go on then renfrey tell us about your um little journey with limp biscuit when did you first hear the band and what did you think and wh- where are we now before we get into the album um i bought significant other at the age of 14 i want to say oh, 14 you must have loved it you would have thought, wouldn't you? I mean, I I don't know if I'm just old before my time. I don't <laughs> I don't know what it. I mean, I guess there's there's a lot of uh, significant other is a rock record sequence like a hip hop record. I think that's fair to say. Uh, yeah, we have um, we've discussed sort of my aversion to a lot of hip hop in the past, although uh, you've opened my eyes to a lot of it. But certainly, you know, nothing on Significant Other am I vaguely interested in at all in terms of that sort of hip hop stuff. Kind of starts very, very rocky from what I recall. It's a long time since I heard Significant Other. But I remember it's starting very rocky and getting more kind of method manny and hip hoppy as it went on. Uh, you got stuff like End Together now and stuff like that. If I recall, it's a w- yeah. it's a long time since I've heard it, so this is all like memory. But um, yes, I bought, I purchased it because um, I'd heard loads of people going on about it, and I believe it was ten ninety nine in Virgin. So I was like, oh, I'll give that. I'll, which at the time, as we've discussed, very 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 cheap. Uh, I was like, I'll give that a pop. And I went to the trouble of taking it back after about a week and I listened to it 
Wow. Sometimes twice a day in that week, because I was trying to figure out why everyone was going mad for it and I didn't really get it. Uh, I liked Nookie. Um, I quite like the song. There must be other songs you like on there. Break Stuff. Mm. Um, Do you uh, not like, it's ain't no joke, so you should get a pen and write yourself a little note so you don't forget again. That when it comes to cash, have something else. Sticking up my money now, I'm broke. Somebody got it. That's a great song. I mean, I mean, it, you're not recalling it for me personally. It is. Don't don't feel downhearted though. It is a very long time since I've heard this record. Fuck me. Is it really 62 minutes and 39 seconds? Significant other. Probably. They really need to do more judicious editing, don't they? Um, <laughs> did I like anything else off of this album? The one with Scott Wayland in 1999. Nobody like Scott you. Wayland. Oh, 1999. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, that's not got what, whatever the one with Scott Wayland. Nobody in, like uh, you. Scott yeah, Jonathan Davis good, and Scott that's Wayland. That's a really good song, yeah. I actually think Significant Other is better than Chocolate Starfish, although I still think it's pro- I still think $3 Bill Yo is the best Limp Biscuit record. It's a heavy one, isn't it? It's, yeah, I mean, $3 Bill Yo is by far my favourite, but even that, like, have... Limp Bizkit ever release a record of just like wall-to-wall bangers? No, they haven't. They're not They're not really that kind of band. They're a singles band, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think people would probably are screaming about Chocolate Starfish in your, at you right now because every song on that pretty much, like you've already said, every song on that is a, has become a massive club-filled banger. There's at least nine fucking songs on that record that you would recognise even though... You, you don't want to. Do you know what I mean? So. I think there's five. Hot Dog, My Generation, My Way, Rolling, and Take a Look Around. No, there's more than that. Uh, let me get it up here. <laughs> Hot Dog, My Generation, Full Nelson, My Way, Rolling, Living It Up. Uh, get your groove on. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. Uh, <laughs> living It Up in the fast lane. Um, take a look around. Oh, Boi- right, yeah. Boiler. And then you've got Rolling Urban Assault Vehicle which is a big one. So that's basically what's 80% the di- of the What's album. the fucking difference between Urban Assault Vehicle and Air Raid Vehicle? It's a remix, isn't it? It's got DMX, and Method Man and Red Man on it. That, that so. fucking album's 74 minutes and 55 seconds. That shows some fucking restraint. I mean, I, that's a fucking stupid thing to say to Limp Bizkit, admittedly. But fucking hell. Like... <laughs> I mean, yeah. So you don't like Limp Biscuit then, is what you're saying? No, I don't. I don't really like Limp Biscuit. Um, having said that, um, the reason I don't like Limp Biscuit is because they do a thing which doesn't interest me in the slightest. Um, I have to confess that um, there is. I've I have actually very much uh, thawed. On my hatred of Limbiscuit. I mean, I don't have I ever hated Limbiscuit. I don't think I've ever hated Limbiscuit, to be honest. Mm. I've just always been very kind of like yeah. meh. You don't, you don't sound like someone who hates them. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been very kind of like, I don't really get it when everyone I mean, you know, when when Fred Durst is having a pop at Trent Reznor when you know oh, yeah, i didn't like that for example when when someone as talentless and let's face it Fred durst is pretty fucking talentless uh as fred durst is having a pop at one of the greatest artists probably ever to be involved in modern music 
it is very kind of like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, you know, and I think I really, really disliked that sort of attitude. You know, I've never really been into that kind of big fronting kind of thing. And there's a lot of that with Limp Bizkit. Um, I have thawed, though, because um, admittedly, uh, I did see them live at Sonosphere. The... 2011. The, yeah, Deftones played after them as well. And I was yeah. I was just sort of right at the back, just getting some food. And I was watching it and I was watching it and going, well, I have to admit that thing that they do, i.e. the massive kind of bouncy new metal sing along chorus thing. They do do it undeniably very, very well. And when you get a whole set, like a, a 50 minute greatest hits Limp Bizkit set and you see the place go off, it is very, very difficult to deny that they are extraordinarily good at doing that thing. I don't like it, but they're very good at doing it. Uh, and I also recall, and we've definitely talked about this before, but um, when they uh, played with Corn um, at Wembley Arena, uh, mm -hmm. which I think we were both at, they mm -hmm. blew corn off the stage. Like they were, they were, well, they were definitely better than corn were that yeah. night. They were very, uh, very good. I have mixed feelings about that because basically that was a load of people who, again, haven't bought a CD since 2002, turning up and corn having the temerity to kind of have a career and make records and play those records in front of people. No, it's um, true, but but that's not Limp Bizkit's fault, is it? That's just no, no, that's it, just the reaction to them. But but yeah. you know, I think no, object I think well. I think objectively that night I do recall because I had to review it for the independent and I was sort of sitting there going, Oh God, I'm gonna have to write nice things about Limp Bizkit. Which I did do. You know, I I I gave them a very good review because I thought objectively they were really, really good that night. But um I just they just do something that I don't like, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I did like them, but by this point, I had sort of got a bit bored, but I just wasn't listening to that sort of thing anymore. I think we discussed it. New Metal got crap. But I did like Wes Borland. So when Wes Borland, yes, who, I, who I continued to love, brought out Big Dumbface, uh, the Big Dumbface album, Duke Lion Fights a Terror in 2001, I was kind of intrigued by the fact that it was going to be compared to Mr. Bungle and Ween. And the reviews were so negative, so negative um, that I was just, I, I, I had to buy it. So I bought it and I love that too. I thought, what a great record. This is a really hilarious thing. I don't know if anyone is aware of that record. I think it's really, like really weird, really funny in places. And it's actually got some really good songs on it. It's Fred insane, Durst that record. Yeah. yeah. It's bonkers. Fred Durst did not like that album. It came out in March 2001. He doesn't like creativity, does he? Well, Fred, I don't know. Um, but March 2001, that, that album came out. By October, Wes Borland pissed off at the kind of endless attention and the kind of audiences that Limp Bizkit had cultivated had left the band. Um, it was only months after the band experienced the death of a fan at the 2001 Big Day Out Festival in Australia as well. So by late 2001, having had their most creative member leave the band and experienced this um, really genuinely tragic thing uh, whilst all the time becoming more and more omnipresent. I mean, you could not pick up a copy of Kerrang! or actually even NME or Melody Maker and not find a picture of Fred Durst in it somewhere for about two years. Well, this is where the hatred thing came in, isn't it? Because if you really didn't 
like this band like i didn't at the time it's the sort of Coldplay effects that we talked about in the past you know people yeah. constantly go on about how Coldplay are the worst band in the world and they're nowhere near the worst band in the world it's just they're omnipresent and you can't mm. escape them yeah. uh ross robinson was asked why he thought wes borland left limp biscuit and he said that wes borland doesn't sell out for money <laughs> or he didn't or he, or he didn't then um Limp Bizkit decided to start search for a new guitar player and um, made a competition, which I remember called Put Your Guitar Where Your Mouth Is mm. to find their new man. They ended up um, hiring former Snot guitarist Mike Smith. Um, Snot, a band that far better than Limp Bizkit ever were. In fact, I would predict and did, pre- did predict and have predicted for a long time that were it not for the death of Snot frontman Lynn Strait, Snot would have been or could have been the band that went into the mainstream rather than Limp Biscuit. There's a shout for that. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they went onto the Summer Sanitarium tour with Metallica and Linkin Park. Um, brought out a big toilet on stage, as far as I recall. Was that Limp Biscuit? That was the Ozfest. Uh, they brought out a big oh, um, my bad. ghetto blaster at, at this point. Um, okay. It was the toilet at the Ozfest 99. Um, it was the. Uh, and then they brought out the big spaceship um in 1998 i think was the big spaceship um the toilet was 99 and this was like a big ghetto blaster thing um but then they they actually got booed and off stage a few times when they were supporting metallica uh that was how people felt about limp biscuit around that time and because, then because the of initials, their om- because of their omnipresence i think yeah pretty yeah. much yeah uh and the initial sessions with smith which sort of turned into the majority of this album um were first of all kind of and and they were uh put on the shelf um they fell out with smith and durst said that he wasn't where they needed him to be um he toured with the band um between 2002 into the kind of early part of 2004 before they binned him off completely but there was a little period where durst was thinking that he might front the band and play guitar as well you know like kurt cobain <laughs> or with or Wes Scantlin, more really realistically. Um, I I can't even. I mean, look, I'm sure there are pictures out there. I can't even picture Fred Durst holding a guitar. Do you think he knows like the right way to hold it up? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, know. I just can't. I can't even picture. I'm sure. I'm sure he can play a few chords. But I mean, who knows? Maybe he's a fucking. Maybe he can play Eruption on acoustic. Who knows? But uh, I don't know. Just just uh, the idea of fred durst holding a guitar in my i that doesn't compute for me at mm. all so they went <laughs> they went to finish the album uh trying to record more songs got everyone from al jorgensen to rivers cuomo in to help ended up scrapping a bunch of stuff um in 2002 fred durst put wes borland's email address on the internet and told fans to email him and tell him to come back into the band borland has said that 75 percent of the emails he received were telling him not to come back <laughs> Cheers. What um, an incredibly mature thing to do. And this yes. is like a fucking, like, Fred Durst was a fucking label executive at Interscope Records, you know? I know. Like, it, like I, I just can't, I can't, I don't believe in celebrating the pomposity and idiocy of a fucking idiot. I think that's my issue with Limp Bizkit. Is that your motto? You're going to have that on your sort of crest? Fuck dead, yeah. Dead, I mean, Deadman family crest. Predominantly, <laughs> predominantly, yeah. I mean, th- there's there's an awful lot of kind of, there was an awful lot of apologising for liking Limp Bizkit for a long time in kind of like the 
sort of, sort of the early part of this decade. You're getting well ahead there. of yourself here. All right, we're gonna go come. On. We're gonna come back to this. Go on. We're gonna yeah. come back to this exact thing right. um, because it is relevant. Obviously, yeah. what you're yeah. saying is relevant. Yeah. Okay, all right. um, I'll save it. But anyway, uh, so after all that, with um, with new metal starting to flop, with Killswitch Engage, Lamb of God, The Strokes, The Highs, Funeral for a Friend, Hundred Reasons, Lost Profits, My Chemical Romance, Waiting in the Wings as well. Um, 2003 needed a big Limp Biscuit comeback. Um, an album that would give a shot in the arm to new metal and return it to its former glory. In its first week, it sold 325,000 copies and went to number three in the US, which is not a commercial disaster, not to be all. fair. Not it actually sold a million copies within three months of its release. But the critics, um, it got two out of five in the NME who said, the fact of the matter is, Limp Biscuit just doesn't matter anymore. Fred Durst's not stupid. He knows rap metal's finished and he's trying to move on. But this may not be the best direction to move in. If he's happy churning this stuff out and he promises at least another three, then in all seriousness, <laughs> good luck to him. But we've suffered enough. Alt Press gave it zero out of five and said, forgettable to anyone with a soul. Uh, <laughs> the Guardian gave it two out of five and said, at least Limp Biscuit can't be accused of festering in the rap rock ghetto. Durst's moody aggression adapts to gothic gloom, Bon Jovian bubble rock, and old school funk. But Durst's problems are ever present, and does anybody still care? Dot Music gave it one out of ten and called it a frightening insight into the vacuous state of 21st century celebrity culture. All Music gave it a score of three out of ten and said, since the melody has no hooks, uh, since the music has no melody, hooks or energy, all the attention is focused on the clown jumping up and down and screaming in front. And long before the record is over, you're left wondering how the hell did he ever get to put this mess out? Um, there were some quite ho-hum bottle job reviews from the likes of Rolling Stone, you know, the kind of three out of fives um, that big artists have to get. Yeah. Uh, Q, Q gave it four. I know. Out of five. Q, what? <laughs> Um, yeah, I know, Bonkers. which is mental. But um, but what do we think about it, Renfrey? Um, I'm going to start just by saying this is a rubbish. I like Limp Biscuit. This album's rubbish. The moment Eat You Alive comes in and fucking ruins the riff to Phaser by Quicksand. <laughs> yes, it, it, like people go, oh no, it's got one really good riff on it. Yeah, that riff is Phaser by Quicksand. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah. shamelessly stolen. Uh, mm. But just with Fred Durst going, I'll eat you alive over the top of it. Mm. Um, a really watered down version of, of, of that. And it feels like a wa straight away feels like a really watered down version of Limp Biscuit, And it just immediately shows how important Wes Borland is to that band, I think. And Eat You Alive is probably one of the best songs on the album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it says a lot about it, doesn't it? Um, I was quite, um, I was really sort of, uh, I mean, it starts with one of those fucking annoying skit things that they seem to fucking love uh, on uh, at the beginning of re-entry. Um, quick question. What is the difference? What makes this skit good and the intro from Uncle Cracker bad, Steve, out of interest? What make, what, why am I to say this? Why have I been given that this is good? Ah. Like, well, I was hoping you'd say, because it's not good and they're equally as bad because there's no fucking merit in any of these skits whatsoever. No. I mean, there's there's no. there's barely any of them, thank fuck, compared to... I remember Significant Other having fucking loads of them. Yeah, um, fair few, yeah. But, you know, waste of fucking time. Bollocks. Um, but when 
the song proper re-entry came in and it had all these kind of like woozy weirdy wibbly wobbly effects i have to say i was like oh i was not expecting this at all uh you know and it's nice to be surprised by an artist uh and i was kind of like oh okay at least i don't think this is great but at least it's vaguely interesting i mean fred durst is just doing his normal clowning around over the top of it but you know it sounded vaguely interesting but i think the thing is i think I mean, this was much touted as the kind of Britney Spears breakup album, wasn't it? And it was this weird, yeah. weird scenario, a little bit like the Moby Natalie Portman situation <laughs> where Fred Durst is like, me and Britney Spears had a relationship and she broke my heart. And Britney Spears is like, no, we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which sort of, I mean, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I would imagine, as it so often is with these kind of things. Um, but... Uh, there's an awful lot of i mean if you recall emo was beginning to build up at this time and of course fred durst is a label executive and he is whilst i don't think he's a particularly creative or astute individual he is probably astute enough to have his finger on the pulse of what was going on with modern popular music at the time because he worked at fucking interscope records for fuck's sake um and um i think this is just an incredibly cynical a pathetic attempt to try to ride some sort of emo coattail wave thing but because Limp Bizkit as a band are completely and utterly incapable of being emo in any way shape or form you just end up with a sort of wishy-washy 68 minute mess I don't think it's that actually I mean I think obviously Fred Durst signed Stained and Puddle of Mud and I think that's more where you look at the success of Creed and Nickelback around that time who weren't new metal so and were doing massive business in America. And so they kind of got away with it. I'm not sure Fred Durst knew much about emo personally. Maybe um, not. Uh, I, may, I, think, I think I'm talking more lyrically than anything else. I mean, Stained yeah. is something I wrote down a lot. He, yeah. you know, I, I, I mean, know he signed Stained and he's clearly aping Stained a lot on this record. Yeah, um, I mean, they, they try and write some more mature and serious songs. Mm. I mean, you get Head from Corn just before he found God um, playing guitar on Build a Bridge and it's wet and oh, it's shit awful. and it sounds like Stained and it's terrible. I mean, <laughs> weirdly get old Snop Duke turns up again, doesn't he? Yeah, old Snop Duke. Duke picking up the old check for every mm. fucking new metal band who wants to work with him on a song called Red Light, Green Light, which is definitely not as good as the Wild Art song of the same name. Um, <laughs> and Fred Durst just goes, freak baby, freak, freak baby at the start. Um, and it's actually one of the songs that I like the most because it's just a stupid, silly, cartoony, OTT, hip hop, pop song. And I can kind of handle Limp Biscuit doing that. I can handle Snop hanging it up massively i mean he sounds like frank spencer when he goes <laughs> red light green light oh he does a proper like camp frank spencer performance but i think it's the just the boring dross that they just like your limp biscuit like underneath the gun or down another day i mean yeah are they are they, are they terrible terrible com compositions and you know are they all like not particularly they're just unbelievably boring nothing happens and they are fronted by somebody who just does not have the voice or the talent or the charisma to carry them i mean exactly. i'd rather they went for shit like eat you alive or phenomenon 
or head for the barricade. I mean, at least they were kind of quite good, like you mentioned earlier, were quite good at doing that, as uncool as that was at the yeah. time. Both of those songs are shitter versions. Um, all three of those songs are shitter versions and the stuff that they'd already put out. Uh, but they're still probably better than anything on the Methods of Mayhem album. Like yes. If we're if we're if if we're like drawing the shitty line. No, no. The... I I I would I would say Eat You Alive over anything on that um, mm. Methods of Mayhem album. Probably because it reminds me of Quicksand, who I fucking love. But yeah. yeah. But but no, I would I would take Quicksand Eat You Alive. Butchered. Um, and I just think you know, like just if when they do that, the odd bit that they do that. I mean, it's one hour and ten minutes long, like of of them being boring as well, of them mm. being like, oh god, and like this kind of stained, fucking, um, puddle of mud, grungy, like bore, just boring, but stodgy, boring, bloated, and then you get to behind blue eyes, mm. which. If you've seen the video, you've got Halle Berry who's getting paid to look at Fred Durst as if she fancies him. I mean, man, <laughs> she's sure earned that Oscar. Um, <laughs> she's an incredible actress. On, it's the obviously the Who song from their classic 1971 Who's Next album. Probably the best Who album. I I I cannot fathom what you're doing here, lads. No, what the fuck? What are you thinking? What awful. were you thinking? What were you thinking? It's really stunning as well that there were um, two singles released from this album. I mean, one of them was a double A side, so I suppose we could see B3 if we're being kind, but I don't want to be kind to Limp Bizkit, frankly. Uh, so two singles. And one of them was that awful, awful cover. I mean, it does go to show just what a fucking waste of time this record is. Um, certainly everything you've just said there, I completely agree with. This is really um, a band stretching far beyond their very limited limitations and trying to do something different. Uh, I think the emo thing that I said, um, maybe, I think maybe you're probably more, yeah, maybe you're more accurate along the stained puddle of mud lines, but it's when those bands are being at their most emo. It's the, yeah. um, uh, what's that fucking stained song? It's been a while. It's been a while. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely i mean it was like it's Aaron, like he's in the room it's like he's in the room um you know and uh uh it's that sense of um emotional connection that i mean so yes actually now that you've said that i think that's a better way to put it but it is it is it is fred durst going oh woe is me isn't it um, yeah. And he does not have the capabilities to make us give a flying fuck uh, about anything that he's saying. Mm. Um, why the fuck? I, I just I just don't care. And it's so kind of like it, it is that hangover from new metal of kind of like, where is me? My parents never liked me. I'm being locked in my bedroom kind of thing. Blah, 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 blah. And they're but just not capable of doing it. They're just not capable of doing it. The, the the very very tenuous briefcase for the defense is here uh -oh. i'm gonna give you right now right now surely no no one needs a shit right and for some reason limp biscuit on this album without their most creative mind to help them have descended into really dull post-grunge bullshit all the ludicrous cartoony stuff that people loved about them in the first place getting replaced by these plodding dreary songs why would they do that um well, had they made another Chocolate Starfish, 
I'm not sure that would have worked either. No. I mean, could I mean, it's basically a case of time's up, lads. Exactly. Whatever, what are you going to do? Do you think there's anything that they could have done that wouldn't have resulted in this? Because I don't think there is. If it's a case of this music is old and it's shit and it's it's not cool anymore, fuck new metal. Oh look, they've gone and made look at these idiots. They've gone and made another massive bouncy new metal album. That ain't gonna work, you dumb asses. But what they actually did was go, okay, well that's sort of not really the thing anymore. We look at Nickelback or whatever, and that's kind of well, okay, well we'll we'll go in that direction and we're gonna do a more introspective, moody, serious like rock album, like. It's not the worst idea in the world. It's just that they couldn't do it. I don't think Limp Bizkit could have done anything else because Limp Bizkit are a band who are capable of doing one thing and one thing only, realistically, which is why they are not one of the absolute greats. They may do that thing very, very well. And actually, you know, as I've said earlier on in this, I've kind of thawed on this a little bit and and have come to admit um that looking at like looking at it through sort of the eyes of a professional critic rather than just someone who doesn't like this sort of thing i have to confess that they do do that break stuff thing well you know um but they showed with this record that they're not really capable of doing anything else at all um i mean it's there's bits on this where you mentioned underneath the gun and down another day where they, it sounds like they're trying to be the cure but such a poor kind of attempt at doing it um and i think this is the thing i mean there was a there was a review that you read out there where it was talking about how it was like a celebration of the worst form of celebrity culture and i completely agree i mean limp biscuit at this fred durst in particular did become kind of like a tabloid name because of all these the, this britney spears association all that bullshit Christina Aguilera. yeah he's in zoolander etc etc and it was just it's just a fucking joke you know it's just some bald idiot in a oh well, sorry there's nothing wrong with being bald of course i'm not an idiot <laughs> <laughs> but well it's more the kind of like hopeless like pathetically trying to hide the fact you're bald by wearing a backwards baseball cap when you're close to your 40s can't believe it you now know. this red cap gets a whack from these critics <laughs> <laughs> well it's because you're like fucking either bill bailey it or or and fucking be like yeah i'm balding and i'm proud or don't bother do you know what i mean we talked about this mm. with counting crows and adam duras who wears a wig by the way um so yeah i mean but but i mean i'm gonna be surprisingly nice at this point within the realms of broken records because um, as I sort of already hinted, I don't think there's nothing on this record that is uh, offensive. I don't think like offen- offensively bad, um, like like quite a lot of the records around the middle of our broken records table. It's just boring. It's mm. not it's not like listening to a song like Underneath the Gun or Down Another Day. Despite them being, for, I mean, fucking underneath the gun is five minutes forty two seconds. What the fuck? Yeah, I know fuck. what you're doing. Um, Get out. But th- there's nothing. I don't find them painful to listen to. I just find them boring. Mm. It's just a boring record. Well, it fucked them up pretty badly, really. I mean, they kind of. So the aftermath is Wes actually did come back <laughs> about a year later. Um, for the actually quite good Unquestionable Truth album in 2005. Now, again, 
that's had a bit of a kick in that. Um, that actually featured uh, former quicksand drummer Sammy Siegler stepping mm. into the mass- Matthews Bridge taking shoes of John Otto, which is mental. Um, absolutely mental. But it just goes to show they were kind of at least invested in that, in, in good music. Like Wes Borland likes good music and he's obviously aware of that. But the stock had dropped so far at that point. I mean, new metal was literally the worst possible thing you could be. And Limp Biscuit were the poster children for that sound. And it, you know, and it flopped completely. And I mean, it made, it reached number 26 on the Billboard chart. Although that is due in part to a kind of an underground promotional campaign release thing where Fred Durst was like, we're not going to do any interviews. We're not going to tell anyone it's out. We're just going to put it out, which you couldn't really sort of do in those days um yeah and again they tried to kind of reposition biscuit as a sort of a proper rock rock band and i actually think there's some you know the unquestionable truth is it's a is a pretty fucking good um like it's an interest it's certainly an interesting record it's far more successful than this um well and, it's only it half does, an hour for a starters which is a good right, start yes it was um, gonna be part one yes and they were gonna have part two and which blah, blah, blah. never happened Instead, no. their, their next three releases, I noticed, were all greatest hits collections, which yes, shows they were. what money-making so, scum they are. <laughs> it didn't really work. Um, Wes Borland was asked in kind of mid-2005 um, what his future plans was, and he said, nothing that involves Limp Bizkit. Yeah. So they went on a hiatus, and it seems mad to think. It feels to me like Limp Bizkit were out in the doldrum for like a de- decades and decades and no one fucking cared about them and now thinking about how quickly time moves and stuff seems mad to think it was only another four years later that they were reforming again for that download 2009 mainstage show where they were greeted like gods like it was like bloody led zeppelin coming back um nostalgia is a powerful wind, thing the, uh, yeah but it was only four or five years i mean the wind changed really swiftly on that one didn't it but it's but mad. it felt it felt like people had dropped limp biscuit years before then which is why i think it felt like longer than it was i totally agree with you but it felt like i mean i really was not paying any attention i i I have to confess i completely forgot the unquestionable truth part one even existed until you mentioned it and i've just brought it up on wikipedia and been like oh yeah but i completely forgot it even existed because that's how little attention i was paying at this point and i think the majority of people were paying very little attention as well yeah i think kind of 2002 it was done but still only seven years i mean you think like to me the idea that a band would reform but then so much happened between 2002 and 2009 you had metalcore and emo and and like stuff actually happened back then it was like we discussed with the gill thing like nothing really got massive enough to be kicked back down and then brought back again but Mm. i mean it's mad that limp biscuit they haven't put another album out since the very patchy Gold Cobra in 2011. Um, and now they seem happy to revel in that very lucrative nostalgia market uh, alongside the likes of um, System of a Down and Rage Against the Machine. That's right, System of Rage Against the Machine. I am quite accurately comparing you artistically in 2020 to Limp Biscuit. In fact, due to the quite excellent Ready to Go single that Limp Biscuit put out in 2013, I'd actually say that Limp Biscuit are more artistically relevant than both System of a Down and Rage Against the Machine combined. So to those bands, I would say, sort your fucking lives out. 
Oh, you're really hurting me, Steve. <laughs> but I understand the point you're making. Yes, I understand mm. what you're saying. Uh, I mean, we've also got this uh, Stampede of the Disco Elephants record, the most preposterously yeah. titled record of all time, which has wow. become a... It's not even the most preposterously, preposterously titled <laughs> record in their back catalogue. <laughs> uh, which has become a bit of a Chinese democracy scenario, mm-hmm. really, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, how when when was... When did I first hear the name Stampede of the Disco Elephants? Probably shortly after... Oh, the first single, Light City of Angels, was released on October 26th, 2012 for Stampede of the Disco Elephants. And the album still hasn't come out. That is... that is. We are talking Chinese democracy levels of... Oh, yeah. Well, someone else has got there before me. But the New Zealand Herald dubbed it the Chinese democracy of new metal. I mean, <laughs> easy, easy thing to say. But uh, yeah, apparently Ross Robinson I mean- is producing it. It's only been nine years, so we haven't quite got to the same, you know, uh, level yet. But yeah, who knows what's going on with that? But you know, I would quite happily turn up and see Limp Biscuit at a festival every now and then, and go, "Oh, that was nice." Um, when they were doing it, sort of every year, like from two thousand nine to sort of about two thousand fifteen, it felt like they they were at a, a festival every single year doing the same bloody thing. And it was like, I actually kind of want you to release an album now, guys. Otherwise, this is. This what what in two thousand nine was like. Oh my god, they're back! They're playing all the hits. By two thousand fifteen, was like, yeah, 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 yeah. We've seen this. Go on. Fuck Absolutely. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, as as much as I enjoyed their set at Sonosphere and uh, su- supporting Corn, co-headlining with Corn, support really wasn't it? Um, I don't need to see it again anytime no. soon. So. There you go. But anyway, results may vary. You've sort of already said it. There is a little space between, like we always say, there's the Dirty Vegas 1, Enemies, The Streets and the Sky, Mick Jagger's Primitive Call is there now, and Bush's Black and White Rainbows. That is um, a, li- a part of the list where it's just where sort of boring records go. I think this is definitely better than Theory of a Dead Man. I yes. think it's probably better than Famous First Words. I remember nothing about one by Dirty No, I, this is the thing. I'm struggling to remember these. Ra- like, I didn't say anything then for Famous First Words because I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, which one's that again? It's the one with the Famous First cover, Words is, yeah, it's the horrible Britpop one. I think, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think results may vary is better than that. Yeah. Um, the fact that I can't remember a single fucking thing about Dirty Vegas makes me think that this is, I can at least remember a couple of things about this. Yeah. Um, I would I, posit I, that we put it between Dirty Vegas and The Enemy because I actually think The Enemy album <laughs> is rubbish, but it's not sp- like that. When this is rubbish, it's fucking rubbish and it's really boring. I mean, here's a turn up for the books. I was going to propose we put it between Mick Jagger and The Enemy. So I was going to be one place kinder to it than you, but I'd be very happy to put it between Dirty Vegas and The Enemy. I think there's very little difference. I like Limp Biscuit more than I like The Enemy, so you've charmed me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so as it stands right now, I'll give you the full rundown, everyone, because I know people like that. Um, Bob Dylan's self-portrait is the best of these records. Um, and in a descending order, Lou Reed and Metallica, Lulu, until Jamie Jester gets its hands on it, then it'll probably <laughs> drop down a few places. Um, 
Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music, Liz Fair's self-titled um, album, Lauren Hill's MTV 2.0 Unplugged, D.D. King's Standing in the Spotlight. Great record, how did we get Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Transform Man by William Shatner, Bush's Black and White Rainbows, Mick Jagger's Primitive Call, Results May Vary by Limp Bizkit, The Enemy Streets in the Sky, One by Dirty Vegas, Viva Brothers' Famous First, first Words, Theory of a Dead Man's The Truth Is, Louis XIV's Slick Dogs and Ponies, the Cosmos Rocks by Queen and Paul Rogers. United Nations of Sound by Richard Ashcroft. Eorg and Quigg's self-titled debut album. Graveyard Classics Volume 2 by Six Feet Under. Blood, Sweat and Towers by the Towers of London. The self-titled debut album from Methods of Mayhem is number two and still a top of everyone. It is Uncle Cracker with Double Wide. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, I need to now pick another hat another another hat out of the album another album out of the hat <laughs> i should say not another hat out of the album that'd be really weird. weird uh what have we got oh no oh no oh no oh no oh no 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 i can't do this oh god go on the self-titled album by Razorlight. oh for fuck's Hey. I don't want to listen to that. I really, really, really do not want to listen to this. All right. Well, that's the last ever riot act. <laughs> Thanks for being a part. I fucking can't listen to it. Oh, as if we've got to listen to... Well, you know, we put it in there. Absolutely. I hope you enjoy this segment. If you're listening, I really hope you enjoy this segment because fuck me, it's a pain in the ass to do. Um... <laughs> anyway, we're going to be back next week talking about Razorlight's self-titled album. We're also going to be reviewing the new album from Biffy Clyro and more. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you very soon. You ready, Renfrey? You're going to be the boy with the golden touch next week? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm just looking at the album now. It starts with In the Morning, which I fucking hate. Ugh. Oh, it's a fucking in-betweeners. Shit. The in-betweeners. Like... Soundtrack just oh, yeah. the, the absolute worst. All right, anyway, we got to do it. Yeah, we'll we do it. We got to do it. We'll, do it. Um, we'll see you next week. Cheery bye now. Bye bye. <laughs>